everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 383. I'm your host, Chris are joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we're doing the show this week that we were supposed to do the last show. But of course, with the situation that I have my family and my brother's passing, we had the delay of the week, and we had the notes done. So I figured, why not? Let's go ahead and do it this week, a week late. And um, we're going to catch up, in a way, on next week's show, which we'll hear more about at the end. But, uh, Bix, for, uh, first off, um, how's everything going with you? And how was your uh, your holidays and Thanksgiving and all that stuff? It was fine. Um, oh, my birthday will have passed while we're recording the show. And birthday. Too. Happy birthday. So there is also that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm doing okay. Excited to cover 1990. We've got an interesting show this week. It's always one of my favorite periods to cover. So let's get down to it. Yes, we do have quite the show this week. As we are discussing the week that was November 21st for the 28th. So we get an extra day of 1990. And since we're in this time of the year, and we're beginning with the World Wrestling Federation, you know what that means. It's a Survivor Series! The epitome of tag team competition is the immortal Hulk Hogan and the Earthquake tap into respective teams of the Big Boss Man and Dino Bravo. Joining up with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Haku, Tugboat, the Barbarian, the Hulkamaniacs versus the Natural Disasters. Team Captains, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, join up with Coco Beware and a mystery partner, along with the Anvil, Greg Amber Valentine, Bret Hart, the Honky Talk Man, the Dream Team versus the Million Dollar Team. <laughs> Team Captains Nikolai Volkov and Sergeant Slaughter, join up with Tito Santana, Marazuko, Bushwhacker Butch, Sato, Bushwhacker Luke and Tanaka, Nipsey Alliance versus the Mercenaries. Jake the Snake Roberts and the model Rick Martell, captain and respective teams of the Superfly, the Warlord, Marty Gennetti, the Mighty Hercules, Shawn Michaels, Paul Roma, the Vipers versus the Visionaries. World Wrestling Federation Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, and Mr. Perfect, lead team members, Texas Tornado, Crush, along with Animal, Axe, Hawk, Smash, it's the Warriors versus the Perfect Team. It's the Survivor Series. Enough of that. Don't you no just Bobby. love me? Yep. Yep. Don't you just love those Jim Johnson horns? <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, it's a it's classic time. I mean, you know, the era of WWF is it great in ring 
all the time? No. But the presentation is amazing. Yeah, can it be goofy as hell? Yeah, but you know, I just I could just sit there and watch this stuff all day long. You know, it's 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 comfort food. It really yes. is. I mean, it's just the stuff like this is just comfort food. You just sit there and you're just watching it just to have fun. That's all you all you need to do. You're not watching it for great matches or anything. You're just watching it for fun. So, but yeah. also, it it's an early Survivor series, and those shows tend to be fun beginning to end in the ring anyway. Yes. All right. Well, let's get started with the uh, with Dave here. The WS annual Thanksgiving pay per view show took place in Hartford, Connecticut, not too far from the company's offices in Stamford. The show drew about thirteen thousand paid and a two hundred sixteen thousand dollar live gate. There were close sixteen thousand in the building with freebies and about two thousand shy of a sellout. On pay per view, the show did just slightly below what it did last year, doing roughly a three percent buy rate, which at a twenty two fifty list price means the show grossed in a nine million dollar range, of which the cut for Titans about forty percent. So, given the wrestling glut on free television and general state of the business, the show has to be considered financially a success. They thought it was a good show, not a great show, but a good show. There were two bad matches, two good matches, and two average matches. Some people weren't happy because there were no new angles created, and a lot of the eliminations were cheap. Since the company wanted to protect, i.e., not have do jobs, its major attractions, but still had to get rid of them because of an inevitable finale where Volk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior as the only two left. Those who were good workers showed their stuff. Most of the bad workers were kept out of the ring. Notable exception, Sergeant Slaughter, as much as possible. Although last year's Survivors weren't so hot, this is tradition the best wrestling show of the year because the eight-man tag format gives everyone ample opportunity to do their spots and rest. And also hides the poor workers by letting them get in and get out without doing much damage. The booking can be criticized because, after all, nothing much really happened. The totally predictable finish was WS always send the fans home happy philosophy combined with the idea that they're pushing Hogan and Warrior as twin equals and at least trying to give the impression that Warrior is equal to Hogan since they need to keep him strong for the long run when Hogan isn't available. Titan shows have to be kept simple due to the nature of the audience anyway. They're looking to accomplish three things. Put Hogan and Warrior over, introduce Mark Calloway as The Undertaker, which came off well, and introduce the gobbledygooker, Hector Guerrero as a thing out of the egg, which was a disaster. And they wanted to protect everyone, which does make the eliminations look cheap, as they did in certain cases. <clears throat> you know, the thing about this, uh, you know, I find it interesting with the what Dave's talking about with Hogan and Warrior, you know, being equals. I mean, Hogan, Warrior beat Hogan. <laughs> you know, I mean, Clean. he's already been proven to be superior. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, but he hasn't been clicking. <laughs> exactly, which is the weird thing. I mean, it's it's a, it's the thing we've talked about on this show many times when we did 1990 and early 1991 is why did that happen? Why didn't the warrior connect like he should have done? And, you know, it, we've run over the different scenarios. I know one of yours is that you like to bring up is the fact that you thought he may have scared children more than he, you know, did to get their uh, support. Which I think is the reason why they changed his look at one point and made him more human and all that. But also, he didn't have the opponents, and the big one, absolutely, is that Earthquake should have been a warrior opponent as champion and not a Hogan opponent in 90. Yeah. 
and you know, that, well, also that's how you humanize him. <laughs> yeah. Just do the well, angle well, with Warrior. <laughs> well, I mean, you say Earthquake, I say Savage. You get my point, though, especially since Earthquake I mean, had been brought been in. Savage is the proven draw. Yes. Well, that's the other thing. They should he, they should have feuded earlier, but also Earthquake is the new hot heel. He came in by attacking Warrior, but that didn't really go anywhere. <clears throat> and then yeah. they saved him for Hogan. But the thing is, so with, with you know with with the Savage uh, theory is that they obviously were saving that for Mania. But the problem was Warrior's not champion in Mania. But are they saving it for Mania yet at this point? Do you think at this point they know they're making Slaughter the champion? Uh, Yes, I think so. Okay. At this point in time, I th- if it's not definite, I think that, th- that they're going that way with how Slaughter was starting to get pushed. Okay. But, I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, they had weak challengers for Warrior, the heel side altogether in this era, you know, you sacrificed all of them to Hogan by this point in time. He, I mean, in Earthqu- and the guy that you haven't sacrificed to Hogan is feuding with Hogan. Mm-hmm. Earthquake. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> you know, uh, because uh, Henning, perfect. Already done a few with Hogan. Bom- pretty much bombed at a box office. DBIC, been there, done that. Um, you know, uh, Dino Bravo, another guy, you know, still hooked up with Hogan. Savage is the one that they're holding out on. But um, you look at who else, I mean, there's nobody else as a top heel. Slaughter is just now starting to get going, but. There's no top heels in WWF is 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 very babyface heavy at this point in time, right? And Warriors. because you look at the baby, I mean, they, they, real quick, you look at the babyfaces. Are right, you got Warrior Hogan, you got uh, Kerry Von Eric who's, who's being put, Dusty who's still who's been pushed, Jake Road Warriors who's been pushed, Road Warriors who's I mean they're tag team, but I mean they're very babyface heavy. On the top side, maybe they could have done something with Rip Martel. I don't know if he was if he would have worked, but yeah, there's. They had something. If they had gone with Martel, Martel idea sooner, I think it could have worked because they hadn't gone as far in the comedy direction yet. Um, maybe, but yeah, like it's just uh, it. I'm just okay. I'm pulling up the card to look at just as far as heels that are on this card. You know, perfect didn't draw with Hogan and didn't draw with Warrior. You have DiBiase. You know, you debut Undertaker here. Um, you know, yeah, that's another one. Under, uh, you got Undertaker coming in. <laughs> you know, but if, if you would Warrior after Warrior's a champion, and that's done. You know. Yeah, they the strongest heels they have are Earthquake and Savage. Yes, and neither one of they're basically untouchable for for uh, for Warrior right now. And why isn't Savage on this show? Um, I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. I've never thought about that before. Have you? He's is he working? I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking at this now. Yeah, I'm gonna go look at wrestling data too. I mean, does he even have a program? He's not working houses. So is this the thumb injury? I guess so. Or the beginning of it, I guess. Yeah, he's not working houses. Yeah, I'm looking at over. Okay, well, November they have 18 shows for him on wrestling data. So let's see. He's facing. He's facing Warrior at the houses. <clears throat> yeah, but not during our week. No. <laughs> I'm trying to remember yeah, what the Warrior Perfect issue even was. That that's the match here. It's Hogan. It's Ho- it's what we talked about last week with Hogan. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Warrior did work houses during our week. He worked uh, Warrior in Providence. He worked Warrior in Detroit and Pittsburgh and you Green Bay. Savage, yes. That's what I'm saying. Savage worked Warrior on all those those nights, and that's who he's married to in the house shows. But there's no angle. So I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm guessing it's that they didn't want Savage to lose based on how how they structured this pay per view. And he's married with him all through December. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess it's I guess they're doing it to build up Survivor Series. You mean Rumble? I mean Rumble, Rumble excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, Rumble. But he's not working. He's not working him at Rumble Slaughter. <laughs> you know, Slaughter's the one getting the title man. Boy, does this sound like AEW. <laughs> I mean, he's working Savage at all the house shows. They're not having any angles on television, really, at all to speak of. And, and, and Warriors working Slaughter at the, at the Rumble. Where Savage has shoots an angle with War at the Rumble to go to WrestleMania. Very weird. But anyway. Uh, All right, so let's get to the show. Speaking of yeah, the weird. Well, well, no, but again, though, before we move on, do you recall at all what the perfect Warrior issue was that led to this? No. Me neither. And I'm looking at Wikipedia and it doesn't really say anything. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seemed obviously they someone wanted to do the babyface team of. I think it's more they wanted to do Warrior Carry and Road Warriors against Demolition and a partner, and he's the one who they threw in, right? That makes they more ob- sense. I mean, yeah, they obviously wanted to have all the painted face guys together and the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, before we get going with this, also, I just checked, and we had talked about this before we started recording. This is actually the last Thanksgiving night Survivor Series. They switched yes. to Thanksgiving Eve in 91. Yes. So. And, I mean, other than, what, maybe one or two more Omni shows, basically the end of the Thanksgiving wrestling tradition, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all right, so let's get to the show. All right, so the Warriors, Ultimate Warrior, Legion of Doom, and Carrie Von Eric. You wait, you uh, mean the, the, the Ultimate Warrior, the Road Warriors, and the Modern Day Warrior? <laughs> yes. And um, the guy who's supposed to be the new Ultimate Warrior and Carrie Von Eric, because after the Ultimate Warrior died. Yes. <laughs> uh, faced off against the perfect team, a demolition of Mr. Perfect. And everybody in this match had face paint except for 
Carrie and Kurt. How about that? Demolitions were face paints. The idea of making them a mass team is out the window. Yeah, Dave thought they were going to just be wearing their uh, bondage mask. Well, they had they had the new masks in the opening montage photos too. Yeah, yeah, but that didn't last long. Where they had the wrestling ma- bondage wrestling masks under the more uh, Mad Max looking uh, leather masks. Yes. And this is one of the rare times where you get all three members of Demolition uh, teaming up together. Yeah, I, I'll check. Is is this the show where Bill Eady just ha- gives no fucks and is and doesn't have his hair gelled? Uh, this is his last night. Yes, so probably. So speaking of, with Bill Eady leaving, there was really no purpose because, because the mass purpose was to allow for the switches with the third guy, and now there's a third guy. Edie looked like he'd rather be anywhere else. Didn't even have his hair slit back. There and Boyer splashed him at 321. At 737, LOD and the remaining two members of Demolition were all disqualified, which listed a lot of boos from the audience. This was a cheap way to get LOD out without having to do a job. All right, is there anyone surprised by that? This left Perfect alone with Warrior and Carey. Perfect stopped more than 90 seconds for locking up. Then after Carey missed a charge and hit his shoulder to the post, Perfect used the Perfect Flex in 1059 for the pin. This left Warrior with Perfect with the obvious conclusion. Warrior kicked out the Perfect Plex, a few more near falls, made a Superman comeback, got the pin with a big splash at 14-19. Match was okay, but not nearly what it had potential to be. Nobody looked on, with the exception of Perfect, who took his usual great bumps. But in some ways, they were out of context with the action because his timing was way off in spots. Still, he was the whole match, two and a quarter stars. Okay, I'm curious as I caused on Kerry Von Erich's entrance here. There's no way that's the original graphic, right? <laughs> uh, I don't see it. Oh, sorry. I forget. I p- didn't put the screen share back on. There we go. There's no way, right? Still not see it. Okay, there we go. Uh, I don't think so. Why is there a black box over where it theoretically would have said Intercontinental Champion before? Yeah. And also, the black box is off center with the rest of the graphic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Okay, that's that odd. Very strange. I mean, well, let's see. Also, are we going to have this black box on the next entrance? The back of a pool, you got what a rush! Well, also, they mistimed the entrance. Yeah. It could be they were supposed to get it while they were coming down the aisle. Okay, yeah. So yeah, Warrior yeah. gets what you'd expect, where the where where it says he's the champion, it's over a, Oh, it must have said WWF spelled out in letters, right? I guess. But for some reason it because maybe because Intercontinental probably would have made it too many letters, so it said WWF. Intercontinental champion said a World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, and there's the whole thing with not being able to spell it out. 
at least on whatever edit this is. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> at, at least we got the team of the Warriors and the Warrior and the Warrior. <laughs> yes. All right. So, um, so yeah. And remember, this is the ult- ultimate survivor. So, Warrior moves on. Yes. Okay. I think – I don't remember how this came up the previous time we talked about this. I always found it stupid that it's – all of the baby faces will team together and all the heels will team together, but you're not explaining it in any way. <laughs> My thing is, is imagine if they would have done this in the first couple of years when you had the men's and the women's. Would we have had – uh Intergender uh, matches? No. Well, they only had women the first year, I think. I don't think they had an 88. No, they had women in 88, didn't they? I don't think so. Double checking. I'm pulling it up right now, the card. Uh, No. That show has four matches, Chris. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Team Warrior versus Team Honky Talk Man, Team Powers of Pain versus Team Demolition. I got you. I got you. All right. I just remembered wrong. I thought it was another one, but anyway. All right, so next match. The Million Dollar Team, Ted DiBiase. The, uh, excuse me, Kane the Undertaker. No, no, he's not Kane the Undertaker here. He was Kane the Undertaker at the TV tapings, and he's Kane the Undertaker in the parts of the WWF update segment that were shot before Survivor Series, but here he is just the Undertaker. The Undertaker. Great Hammer, Valentine, Honky Tonk Man, Rhythm and Blues, over the Dream Team, which is funny because Great Valentine's on the other side. Dusty Rose, Coco B, wearing the Heart Foundation. They, they introduced Mark Calloway as the Undertaker, managed by Brother Love, and did a great job getting him over as the new monster heel. He sold nothing for nobody and pulverized everyone in sight. Let's see how he was introduced, shall we? Yes. Can't wait to hear Roddy Piper say, Look at the size of that ham, huh? <laughs> I've got to say a million times before. Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. So without further ado, I will introduce to you now my mystery partner, led to the ring by his manager, Brother Love, weighing in at 320 pounds from Death Valley. I give you The Undertaker. (laughs) The Undertaker, the mystery partner, is now revealed. I never heard of it. Holy cow! Look at the size of that ham hock! Check out them drumsticks, baby. 320 <laughs> pounds looks to be 6'9", 6'10", somewhere in that neighborhood, Rod. 6'10", I don't know, it's hard to tell from here. Holy cow! And look at the look on the face. I don't, do you think it's his coffee? Doesn't look like he's having a good time. You think he'd steal the gold out of your truck? There's only supposed to be four members on a team. This guy makes four and a half, maybe five. Let, look at them eyes. We need a little nine-nine time there, Bell. Hey, Buckaroo. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, he doesn't look friendly at all. 
Nasty, nasty look. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one out of I'm already exhausted, man. This is just the second fight. Now here they are picking partners. You gotta the hearts and Rhodes and Coco gotta be just trying to figure what out what's going on here. Now I see does the Undertaker wrestle with all that gear on? I don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I've never seen the guy before. I, either have I. I we'll find out very shortly. Just some guy they dug up someplace, huh? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. How great is it that Brett's the first person he squares off with? Oh yeah. Well, I mean. You have the best guy. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Look at oh, he's towers over everyone. Well, the hitman didn't have any bones about getting in there. He should. Oh. What a power move by the Undertaker. Someone needs to steal that choke slam off the road. Excellence of execution doesn't have to fear anybody. Absolutely not. The hitman is one of the best ever. Here's Nyhart now. Nyhart can move anything. Uh oh. Scooped him up like a little baby. Now check it out. Now okay, Coco, go for it. Coco's the kind of guy that'll just go for it. Oh. Well, Coco did the right thing, tried to use that speed and agility that he has, but he got outsmarted. Outsmarted and outstretched. Uh-oh, early tombstone. Don't kill him. Oh, no, like a sack of... Oh! He just got <laughs> nailed with a tombstone. What is it? I think it's a tombstone and it's over. It's over for that guy. It sure was a tombstone. Holy guacamole. Boy, did he write an epitaph for Coco. Um, it, it's so early that we're behind him on the hard cam when he does the tombstone, so we don't get to see the Coco landing great, but based on the way the taker was holding him, he probably dropped him on his head. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, <laughs> um, I forget. Did I end up bringing up on here that I did, uh, there was some Twitter space recently, and I, I don't even remember which one it was, and I asked Colin Delaney if he thought that the theory that Undertaker messed up the – uh, was it he the one that brought up the video of Undertaker killing people with the early tombstones? I don't remember. But I asked him what he thought as someone who had once shared a locker room with Mr. Undertaker, uh, what he thought of the fan theory that Undertaker did the tombstone different and wrong early because he thought having other dudes' faces in his crotch was gay. He thought it had merit. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I don't know. I think we're going a little too far with that one. <laughs> we do need to get Colin on here eventually, though. I know he was very unhappy that he was not the guest when we did uh, when we did Great American Bash 2008 with his uh, WWE heel turn. Also, to see how green he is at also doing this move safely, look how close to the ropes he's putting Coco down. <laughs> Bad idea. Well, and right, so also the, for the record, too, before we keep going with this, it was called the Tombstone before the Undertaker. He's doing called, the move I mean, because it's called the Tombstone. 
Morocco was using it. They called it it's a tombstone file driver. So, yes, I that's mean, how Gorilla knows the name because it is established as the tombstone file driver. It is called the tombstone file driver because you are putting someone down in a way that they take the same angle as a tombstone. Yes. All right. So anyway. All right. So he take her first pin with Coco in 143 with a tombstone, simply called a tombstone. Anvil pin Honky in 423 with a power slam. DBI spent nine heart and then uh, 555 when Virgil to stretch to die harder. Who turned around was hit with a clothesline. Undertaker punched Dusty off the top rope and pinned him at 831 in part of one of Dusty's burial. Well, the Undertaker is one that, that did it, so there you go. Then he tossed from the ring. When Dusty went out, but Brother Love, Undertaker turned on the ring and basically kicked his carcass all the way to the dressing room, which got Undertaker counted out in 930, which was important. They had to get him out of there because they want to save his first meeting with Hogan and Warrior for a later date. Smart move. Brett cradled the hammer in 1002, leaving him with DBI. It was mentioned on TV that Brett's older brother, Dean, had passed away the day before. He was 36. Had a kidney failure. The next four minutes were far and away the highlight of the show with Brett and DBI spent on a clinic, including a great fake knee injury spot by Brett, leading to a near fall. And with DBI rolled Brett's crossbody block for the pin at 1359. Three and a half stars. It makes you wish that Fred and DiBiase had a pay-per-view singles match because what they do here to close this match is better than anything they did in the singles matches we saw them have. Yes. It is really, really, really good. Um, Okay, so let me ask you this, too, because it's not like we'll have a good opportunity to talk about it many other times. What did you make of you know, granted, I know it was Bruce's idea, the gimmick and everything. What do you make, especially with hindsight, of Brother Love as the manager of The Undertaker? I mean, if you're going to go with the thing where Brother Love is the preacher and here's his Undertaker, you know, you, it, it, if you're going with that as the motif, then yeah, it works. I, you know? get, I get what the idea was with it and that... The thing is, if you watch the promos, so the earliest ones they shot together, I guess, at the TV taping before Survivor Series, he's still over the top brother love, and it doesn't work. But as you get closer, you know, to when Vince gives Bruce his ultimatum, either you can be in the office or you can be on the road, um, he does figure out a version of brother love that works for this, so... I think it could have worked, but it was probably also for the best that it ended up being Perseus Paul Bear. Oh, in the end, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, in the end, it worked. Yes. Undertaker as a character would not be anywhere without Paul Bear. I think, I think we can all agree with that, right? I don't know if I would say that. It wouldn't be the same. I mean, you can't, you know that, Bix. I mean, uh, how, do you think Undertaker or Brother Love would have had the stay in power that Undertaker or Paul Bearer had? Probably not, but I think that, well, here's the thing, though. Brother Love wouldn't have turned babyface. I think the question is more what legs do you have on babyface Undertaker if there's no Paul Bearer? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... It's a definite what if, but I, I just, it, I don't know. I mean, I just don't see it. I just don't see how it would have happened. But anyway, 
Yeah. All um, right. So, um, well, what? I was going to say, let's take a quick diversion to Bret Hart's book. So right. he talks about Dean's death. And then the following day was American Thanksgiving and at the Hartford Center, Civic Center, wrestlers gorged on a catered turkey dinner. Survivor Series was only hours away. Um, and that's – oh, no, excuse me. They did a show in Providence the night before, but it was right after Dean's death. And Bruce is with them because Bruce had sent Vince what Vince called a very refreshing letter about the wrestling business. And they invited Bruce to have a meeting with Vince. Uh, so Bruce and I mostly kept to ourselves, telling each other stories about Dean. Word of our brother's passing spread among the wrestlers, and dozens of them paid their respects. On the way to the lunchroom, Bruce and I had run into Vince and Pat coming out of an elevator. They were in a great mood, and Pat gave me a crisp slap on the back. Cheer up, you look like somebody died, for Christ's sakes. I managed to calmly say, yeah, Pat, our brother Dean passed away. Neither he nor Vince seemed to take the news on board and walked cheerily away, annoying yuck-yuck laughs reverberating down the hall in their wake. Bruce had expected a warm welcome from Vince. Uh, now doubt and rejection added to the sadness on his face. Don't worry, Bruce, I tried to reassure him. They're just busy, and it must be they don't know. In contrast, neither of us will ever forget the kindness of Carrie Von Eric, who smiled and said, Don't worry, he's up there right now with my three brothers. They'll look after him. I didn't know whether I could even work, but the memories of how Dean loved my matches and of our good times together growing up inspired me. I wanted to dedicate the match to his memory. It was bizarre to meet Vince's new gimmick. A towering red-haired kid from Houston named Mark Calloway, his huck fin features hidden by the dark circles painted under his eyes to give him the look of a cadaver. Well, he wasn't really supposed to look like a cadaver yet. He was the Undertaker, dressed in all black, complete with a wide-brimmed hat. Pat explained to all of us that Vince wanted him over super strong, didn't want him even leaving his feet. How odd that today of all days my job was to battle death in a strange kind of morality play. Uh... And then talking about how once Taker was eliminated, the stage would be set for me and DiBiase to steal the show. Losing can be a beautiful thing if done right. The man character was generally seen as a wrestler who, try as he might, could never quite win. This made him more human than, say, Warrior or Hogan. And, you know, then talks about, you know, just what the match meant to him. But it's a, it's a always stuck with me, this section of the book, for whatever reason, I think, just because of all the mixed emotions and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So DiBiase advances to the uh, Ultimate Survivor match. Next, the Visionaries, Rip Martel, the Warlord, Paul Roma, and Hercules, Power and Glory, defeated the Vipers, Jake Snake Roberts, Superfly Jimmy Snook, and the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Story of the match was that Martel would never game with the Rock with Jake unless Jake was down. Match up really hot due to the Rockers, who even worked good spots with the Warlord. Is that guy huge or what? But he's so bad. Anyway, Janani was pinned when Warlord cut off the top rope with a power slam at 517. Michael's continued to make the match top-notch with his moves and bumps, and really everyone but the Warlord, and maybe Hercules, got into it good here. Even Snooker, while he was in, was impressive. Martel pinned Snooker and was Snooker at a crossbody block, but Martel kept rolling for the pin in 943. They spent the next few minutes getting heat on Sean, who was finally pinned by the combination suplex splash off the top rope finisher of Power and Glory in 1519. This left Jake against all four men. Stalled a bit, 
then got Heenan Roberts. Jake hit DT on Warlord, and Martel went to spray him with a cologne, but Roberts turned his head and pulled out Damien. Roberts chased Martel to the dressing room's countdown 1806. Since Martel wasn't a legal man, Warlord was. All four heels survived to the final match. Three and a quarter stars. Very good work, but the finish was lame. Wait, since when do we keep track of who's legal in Survivor Series when someone's counted out? <laughs> Well, I mean, we've had whole teams counted out in one yes. shot. It, that's it. This is the best match on the show. Might, uh, maybe even a little yeah. bit better than Dave says. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if I'd use the word carrying, but Warlord, especially in the WWF, never looked better than when he was in the ring with the Rockers. True. Plus power and glory here at this point. They're not. They're not kind of slotted as a prelim team yet, so they're not demoralized, and they're still really good. So, yeah, Martel's still good. Snuka exists. So, it, yeah, really fun match. Yeah, absolutely. Also, right, we'll so get we to all... it after this match, but I did forget Savage is on the show. He has a promo. Well. Did he work SummerSlam? Uh, Dusty, but he basically squashed him. Yeah. So, so you look at it here, I mean, he, he works very short of SummerSlam. He doesn't work here. He doesn't work Rumble. He doesn't work Rumble. He did not have any, a pay-per-view, he had, so he had no pay-per-view matches between SummerSlam and Mania, and he had no pay-per-view matches of consequence between Mania and Mania. One of the biggest draws in the company. <laughs> That's a really weird. I mean, in general, the handling of him in 90 is kind of strange in general, even pay-per-view aside. Like, he's not really... I mean, yes, him and Dusty is headlining shows, but it, it doesn't feel like he's being used to the potential of Randy Savage. He just came up with one of the, the biggest house show feuds in the company's history of Hogan. I mean, the biggest, really. Yeah. So weird. But anyway. All right. Next match. The Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan, Hacks Legend Duggan, Tugboat, and Big Boss Man defeated the Natural Disasters. Earthquake, Dino Bravo, Haku, and the Barbarian. Boss Man pinned Haku in 315 with a Boss Man Slam. GB Hart pulled the rope down, and Duggan took a bump over the top rope. He got his 2x4 and started using it on the heels for a DQ in 611. Hogan pinned Dino Bravo with a small package in 759. Earthquake pinned Bossman. Dave was surprised to see Bossman do a clean job after two elbow drops in 905. Tubbo, who hadn't tagged in once, probably wasn't allowed to, got a hot tag after the heels, got about 90 seconds of heat on Hogan. And after just 40 seconds of pathetic brawling with Earthquake, both were counted out in 1133. Tubbo is just awful. This left Hogan and Barbarian. Barbarian got the early edge, hit a clothesline on top rope, and Hogan made a Superman comeback, got the pin. With a lead drop in 14.50, two stars. Asher kept going most of the way. Nobody looked good, but never boring, and only put that up for about 40 seconds. Hogan looked smaller because of the movie shooting, and seemed to lack stamina more than usual. Yeah, I mean, well, what could you say? I mean, it is interesting, though, that we, you know, we never got a Hogan-Barbarian thing. It'd be nice to have like a a deal with them. Not major, just something. I guess because he had been a tag team guy. 
Well, he weren't Warlord. Yeah, he did, actually. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, if Hogan was afraid of a barbarian, I mean... I mean, he did work with Haku, though. He worked with Haku! Maybe Hogan was afraid that Barbarian's wife would get be upset at him or doing something. She might whip his ass. <laughs> Not him. I'm afraid of brother. It's Sophie. <laughs> Next, we have the Alliance. Nikolai Volkov, Tito Santana, and the Bushwhacker. Oh, God, I know. I just realized he, he doesn't want Sophie to explain how she makes sure that Barbarian's not cheating on her. <laughs> he doesn't want Linda to get smartened up to that. <laughs> Linda getting tips. Uh, the Alliance defeated the Mercenaries, Sergeant Slaughter, Boras, Zukov, and the Orient Express. The two guys who were on their way out didn't last long as Tito pinned Boras with a flying form in 48 seconds. And then Butch over at Kiyosato in his last match as he becoming WS officer representative in Japan in a minute 47. After the running headbutt to the stomach. Tito pinned Tanaka on a flying forearm arm in 212, which left Slaughter alone with four baby faces. They really want to push Slaughter hard as a heel, as obviously the top three heels of WrestleMania will be Undertaker, Slaughter, and either Earthquake or Roddy Piper, if he turns as expected. Excuse me? It would it would have made sense if they wanted to go that direction, but they didn't do it. Uh, the rest of the match was bad. Sarge pinned Volk over the elbow drop 525. Sarge pinned Luke after he got his knees up when Luke tried to splash from the middle rope and then used Slimmer Breaker in 631. Sarge pinned Butch with a clothesline at 655, leaving Sarge alone with Tito. At the rep up, Tito did a flying forearm but no ref. Jerome and not interfering and clubbed Tito with a flag right in front of the second ref. Slaughter then put Santana in a finishing hold and the rest of that match at DQ Sarge as they tried to tease Sarge won the match with a submission in 1037, one star. Wait, is a finishing hold, <laughs> is that the nuggie? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Okay, I'm curious. A finishing maneuver. If, if he's not calling it the Cobra Clutch, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, this isn't the post-match, sorry. All right, so let's see. Oh, well, also, wait, what am I talking about? Survivor Series, they have the closing moments thing. Um, Volkov tried to do a Rocky Johnson boxing sequence for some reason. Oh, now he's doing What the hell? Oh, was he not tagged in, I guess? But Who oh, knows? Okay, I'm gonna try to skip ahead to this. Oh wait, like three people. Excuse me, three people have to get eliminated. Let me sk- let me skip back from the next segment. Um, I just don't get the slaughter thing in general. Like, you couldn't find someone who wasn't this obviously past it. Oh no, it was the camel clutch. A finishing hole. Why didn't he call it the camel clutch? <laughs> who knows um they couldn't find someone who wasn't so clearly past it to be the the turncoat like i get why you want to do it with it's slaughter. Sort of slaughter i get it but it's like uh corporal kershner it just he looks <laughs> so old he wasn't putting much up much effort in his matches when he was trying he was good ranger ross Turn Duggan. I don't know. Like, oh no, <laughs> that would have been a disaster. <sighs> what about Sheik Tugboat, brother? Well, that would have that would have been good either. I mean, Slaughter is the guy because of what he was. You turn the guy who is that type of gimmick if he's willing to do it, which he was. 
to. And they didn't expect All it to right. turn into a war. Uh, no. Next came the egg hatching. Herein lies the problem when you build something up so big. You almost needed something like Ric Flair staying in the egg to not disappointed. What they got was a cheap costume, which really looked more of, like more of a Jim Hurd concoction that was booed out of the building. The comedy gooker, which is supposed to be the new WF mascot and the kids character, a la Big Bird, I guess, danced around and flipped around in the rain to barnyard music and danced with Gene Oakland. It was made even more pathetic as Roddy Piper and Gorilla Monsoon tried to sell that the crowd didn't know what to make of it at first, but really love it when the booze kept coming. Even with the promotion, within the promotion, it's admitted this thing was a flop. Talk already going through with it through Christmas shows and shows and letting it mercifully disappear. But somehow Dave thinks my man will just shove the thing down everyone's throats until he gets over. And it, it, it probably will give it time. There's still something sad about, a, sad about a wrestler as talented as Hector earning a living playing this role. Okay, before we go to the clip, we probably should give the context for those who aren't aware. For weeks and weeks at the TVs, I think even at some house shows, they brought this giant egg and would put all this focus on the egg and how it was going to hatch a Survivor Series and ask fans what they thought was going to be in the egg. And the rumor in and around wrestling was that it was going to be Mark Calloway. Um, he's even talked about this in some of the Undertaker documentaries that he had heard it too. And he was like, am I going to be the egg man? What is this? Uh, our dear friend, John McAdam has said that what he heard at the time was that it wasn't just supposed to be Callaway. It was supposed to be Callaway as the Undertaker violently kicking his way out of the egg. And then they realized that was too scary and they shouldn't do it. And they came up with the gooker. I'm not sure what I think of that one, but anyway, let, let, let's go to the clip now. As Gene Oakland looks way too happy with himself, knowing what's coming. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's the He's getting ready to dance. evening. Yeah. Things are really heating up here at the Survivor Series, and I got to tell you, these great fans here in Hartford, Connecticut, are red hot too. Now, look. Obviously, this is a show in the real world or close to it. You know it's not a real egg. But why do you have to zoom in so close that you can see where it's going to open? <laughs> oh, man. And you know, when it's so hot, so long, well, that means that the incubation is all over. Now, that means a lot of us are looking forward to seeing this gigantic egg, wherever that came from, I'm sure it had to hurt. But this egg is going to hatch here tonight. As a matter of fact, hold on. Oh, oh, I, this cracks me up. I, I can freaking crack right now. Everybody has speculated as to what might be in the egg. Is it a dinosaur? Is it a rabbit? Balloons? A Is dinosaur. it the Playmate of the Month? <laughs> Who knows? Well, Wish it was. The way it sounds to me right now, the speculating is all over. Oh, stand back. Oh, look at the stand back. I think that egg is ready to blow. Oh, oh there it is. What is it? <laughs> what in a world? I love 
Was there a fan audibly yelling out, what is this shit? Uh, I heard someone say shit. I I didn't hear it. Is this? I don't know what it is. Take a look at it, ladies and gentlemen. I know. You're looking at me like I know what I don't know what it is. A beak. A little rooster tail up on top. I don't know. They got a pair of legs like my mother-in-law, pal. Look at the feet on this thing. I can't believe what in God's name is this. Holy. What? Uh, uh, give, go, what, what is with the gobbledy? The gobbledygook. Don't tell me you're the gobbledygooker. You've got to be kidding me. How would he know that? <laughs> Gene speaks turkey. Uh, How did they think this was going to be a good idea? I don't know. Um, For the record, uh, the Playmates of the Month in October uh, were uh, Brittany York. Oh, I remember her. Oh, no, wait, dated October. Excuse me. So I guess we should go with the one dated November or December. So November was Lorraine Olivia and December was, was Morgan Fox. Great name. And then who was Playmate of the Year, do we know? That wouldn't that be Kara McDougal? Uh nineteen ninety? No. That was like ninety seven or ninety eight. Uh of the does it have here? Of the year was uh Lisa Matthews was named in ninety one as Playmate of the Year after her. This is ninety Vix. Yes, she is na- she is named in ninety one among the playmates who appeared in ninety. Is at least how it's explained here. But the Playmate of the Year is for 1990, and that's Renee Tennyson. But that's based on her appearing in 89. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I wasn't thinking about that. I forgot how Playboy did their business. Yes, it was Lisa Matthews. Uh, I mean, blonde. You know, <laughs> about what you expect. Was there ever a brunette Playmate of the Year? I mean, Renee Tennyson was black. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so, let's go back to I mean, the... I mean, so they, 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 they definitely was not every here blonde. That's for sure. Sure. <laughs> is that all you do is gobble? Well, on Thanksgiving, what would you expect? What? You want me to what? Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't do that. Not in front of an audience like this. Are they going to fuck? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Where is he taking him? And what is... I have no idea. I have no idea. But I guess he's a survivor. He's taking, uh, he's taking him home. I also love that Dave Meltzer does not know what turkey in the straw is and just calls it <laughs> barnyard music. <laughs> also, they put this on right before the main event. <laughs> well, that's not the worst idea in the world. On <sighs> an unusually short pay-per-view for the era, too. Bye. The gobbly gooker. Gooker. The gobbly gooker. That's what Mean Gene said. He's taking him into the ring. What's he? Yeah, he 
Surely you don't want to. I, I think he's kind of cute myself. Why is it Hector? Well, I'm a, I'm a strange kind of guy, you know. Oh, look at the agility. <laughs> a little funk in there. Boy, talk about bird legs, baby. Are those just two veins in that seat? He's inviting Mean Gene into the ring. Oh, the kids are going nuts. They love him. Okay, sure. Hey! Why are they dragging this out so much, too? I love how you have Roddy Piper saying, San Diego chicken, eat your heart out. <laughs> it's it's like on a Law and Order episode or SVU in the modern era where they make a pointed reference to how the character is similar to the person they're based on so they don't get sued. <laughs> where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy who is clearly not supposed to be Chris Brown makes Chris Brown look like a choir boy. <laughs> Get down! Oh, you know Vince was having a time with his life. It's a Turkey in the straw. See, Piper Turkey knows what it is. Hey, a mean jeans pretty. That's good. Kind of looks like Fred Sanford, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh-oh. Gobbly Gooker hitting the ropes here. All right. <laughs> I think we should make a... Oh, I just realized that's why they needed a wrestler. They needed someone who knew how to do stuff off, you know, hit the ropes and stuff. Well, they had to be a wrestler, picks. <laughs> I mean, they got to, they, they, obviously, this thing was going to work matches. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, why would you put a wrestler in the gimmick if you're not going to have him work matches? Dave said mascot. <laughs> Do you really think Hector no, uh, was going to work matches in that? If they're going to have somebody be a, just a mascot in it, uh, just take somebody to fucking, damn, it's been in the circus or some shit. L- like Dusty's good friend Jives as Wildcat <laughs> Willie. I mean, that's what you do. Why why put a, a perfectly competent wrestler in that gimmick if he's not going to wrestle? I... I because they wanted him to be able to hit the ropes to do his tricks, I guess. So they wanted a trained wrestler. Get a circus rep. Uh, whatever. The official mascot of Survivor Series. Is that, like is that a male or female gobbly? Uh, I'll take the home and I'll tell you off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'll hook it off. I'll hook it off. okay? I think so. I like the two. I don't want He's all right. He's on his feet. As they are here in unison, they're all on their feet. Look at the kids. The kids are going nuts. Are they? Uh, <laughs> you going to try it, Gene? Booker wants Gene to do some somersaults in his suit. Are we sure? Is that is that Vince's nephew or some shit? Is that Rod's son? <laughs> that he specifically said get down to. 
Is that Rod's kid? Uh, Robin uh, Man. <laughs> I need to see that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Goggly Cooper's got him going here. Now they found an adult into it. didn't know what to make of a person. Yeah, I think I'm, he's won the he's heart probably, of Hartford. He certainly has. Race. Yeah, it, it certainly has. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Hey, that's the skin. I could bring him home, put him in my family with my six kids. They'd never know the difference, man. One more kid, one way or the other. See, I'm willing to bet that thing has that's a jacket that would have come off. Agile sucker. What about the mask, though? Oh, there goes me. Oh, he had to wear a mask. He's agile too, but a little bottom heavy. <laughs> Something just don't fly. He couldn't work in that. Yeah. No. Oh, you don't wait, think? Wait, wait, wait. No. He said, wait a minute. I don't know. Check this out. Are you saying goodbye? No. Still going, too. Whoa! Yeah. I'm about to tap out. <laughs> You're gonna be that's mean to That's how mean. Oh wait, it's over. He can't do that. One day, BG just did one of those rolls, had a full head of hair. Came out of that roll, nothing but toilet seat cut. Gobbly Cougar, a big smash here at Survivor Series. The way I look at it, that's one turkey that survived. Certainly did. Jim Johnson with the music here. Obviously a tremendous athlete too. Gobbling Cooker, big hit here at Survivor Series. Right now, let's go to Sean Mooney. Gentlemen, I must say the... Oh, I... <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's... But you know what? I mean, this is something that will be remembered for the rest of time. And it's something that will always come up. And it's something that they've gone back to and shown clips of forever and ever and ever. I mean, it's, it's infamous. So it worked. If you look at it like that, it's something that had an impact on people for 32 years. It's worked. Yes. Also, you see Hogan here with his size down, but still obviously roided up uh, from shooting the movie. It makes you wonder why he didn't do this sooner, because this is the best shape he's been in in his career up to this point. He's def yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely more cut. He's not bloated Hogan that he was uh, a couple years earlier. No. Warrior got his big warrior mullet going here. Uh-huh. And and Tito, Tito hanging with the big boys. Good to see Tito there after all those years. Yes. You know? Well, someone had to do a job. <laughs> Warrior's got the full face paint here, too. Well, he reapplied it. He had time. And the white belt. I like how Hogan's getting a pump on to try to steal the show from Warrior talking. <laughs> so... There you go. There's your Survivor Series promo here. As we had the final Survivor match, and everyone from the previous match, they weren't eliminated. So you had, on the Bayface side, you had Hogan, Warrior, and Tito against Heels, Ted DiBiase, Rip Martel, Power, Glory, and the Warlord. 
So three on five. Anyone could have figured out what was coming next. Tito would be eliminated, and Hogan and Warrior would breeze through everyone else. Well, surprise! They let Tito pin the Warlord in 29 seconds after a flying forearm. But then Tito beat DiBiase beat Tito in 151 with a hot shot, and you know what happened from there. Yeah, a few minutes of heat on Hogan, finished him with a power and glory superplex and flat splash finish, which Hogan got right up from and pin Roma in 537 on a clothesline. Warrior tagged in six minutes, few few hot moves, but Hogan tagged back in just 40 seconds later. Hogan was in the midst of his finishing routine, doing the boot to the face when Martel walked out for the count out in 719. This made 60 cues to five count out eliminations of the night. Might as well have had Lynn Denton book this show. <laughs> yeah, very Portland. Uh, Hogan pinned DiBiase with a leg drop in 838. Warrior pinned Hercules with a big splash in 908. Match that's climactic. Total live crowds filling out, filing out during the match. Starting in a quarter. <sighs> what can you say? I mean, it was obvious what it was going to be. It was going to be Hogan and Warrior standing tall and doing their routine because, I mean, they haven't done anything since Mania together. So, get them out there and do a posing routine. Yeah. Also, nothing against Rick Martel, but if all the guys in the match you're going to protect on the heel team, why is it him? He's got the feud with Jake. Because uh, it's still ongoing, I guess. D- I mean, DB, I've seen with Dusty, but that's not as important as Rick and Jake is at the moment, I guess. Well, this is. Dusty's the, about to leave. I was going to say, well, no, this isn't the blow off, though. Rumble's the blow off. So, yeah, Dust, they haven't even done the Dustin stuff yet, have they? Or did they just start the Dustin yes. stuff? Yeah, they're starting done. Okay. So, there you go. It, it, you get why, but strangely booked show. Yes. Also, Hercules wearing his customs trunks here. <laughs> yes, he ain't gone to the long boys yet. No. Usually, any comedy by WF has stretched even. Usually, any comedy by WF has to stretch to even reach toilet proportions. And one eight hundred lard ass does qualify in that category. But Playboy Buddy Rose diet skit ranks with the best skits Titan has done since Hulk Hogan and Gene Oakland in the workout video for their 1985, it says 85, so it be 84 match. Overall, the Friday Night NBC special, yes. No, they have Survivor Series. <laughs> we had Friday Night main event the night after on NBC. Oh, which no was reason. originally going to be Saturday Night's main event with the uh, tag title change. That's right. Um... No ratings available at press time was one of the most co- the company's best shows of all time. The wrestling, usually not a strong point, was top notch. The comedy, sometimes good, but usually forced past the point of being funny, was on the mark. And also, we did two interviews in the same hour. How about that? Yeah. I forgot we had Saturday night's main event. I'm pulling it up now. Well, Friday night's main event. You know what I mean? The main event. So, um, Dave will list the matches. So I don't know the exact order of uh, things here. But uh, we'll start with the first match. Ultimate Warrior beat Teddy DiBiase by DQ in 9.58 to retain the title. NWA should have hired DiBiase as their magician. Technically speaking, this was the best Warrior match they've seen. The Hogan match was more exciting because of the hype and build-up, but this was technically a better match. Typical Hogan storyline. Warrior uses strength to early edge. Manager stretched the bay face leading to the heat spot. Guy does big mood, no effect. Superman comeback, time to go home. Warrior splashed DiBiase when Virgil interfered for the DQ. Warrior had Virgil press when Randy Savage jumped in and be on the Warrior for a while before leaving. Well, there's your Warrior Savage angle. Uh, Warrior got to his feet in the big ovation afterwards. Three and a half stars. All right, so you got the thing pulled up? Yes. All right, so what what is our order here? I, I need to, um, Let me see the screen. Oh, 
I didn't sc- uh, it is Warrior DiBiase, Savage Interview, Volkov Attack Slaughter. Perfect. Yeah, we're, all right, we're, get, we're getting into that. Okay. All right, so Slaughter, Volkov never took place. Thank God for small favors. Slaughter was beating on Volkov with his stick, with Jim Duggan made a save with a two-by-four. So there's that. All right, so Perfect Boss Man's next. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect beat Boss Man by count on 813. And to watch a Perfect on Thursday, Dave thought he would be the most overrated wrestler in the business. After all, when has someone been touted as the best wrestler in the business who more often than not doesn't have a good match? Anyway, in this match, he looked like the best wrestler in the business. Finish saw Boss Man kick out the Perfect Plex. Bobby Heenan pulled down top rope, but Ross, Boss Man, Ross Man, Boss Man reversed a whip and Perfect sailed over. Heenan slapped Boss Man and chased him to the dressing room was counted out. Perfect was flawless in this match, taking his usual great bumps, but also working it. He's having a great match. Three and three quarter stars. I mean, the Perfect and Boss Man working together, I mean, yeah, what do you expect? But Perfect, I mean, Dave's right. <sighs> Mr. Perfect, we talked about this before on the show. Kurt Henning was so much better in EWA as a wrestler than he was in WF. It's not even funny. Because he had no offense as Mr. Perfect. No. He basically was the gimmick. But that's what people remember him by. That's why you know, they, they speak of him with, in hollow terms because of the gimmick being so awesome. And the bumping you know? and the Bret Hart matches. Yeah, yeah but defense. It was more of a defensive thing for him and and again the gimmick. You know? Yes. And a boss man was a great opponent for him to have because Ray Trailer being as great a worker as he was. And also they were very good friends. Yeah. Alright, so uh, we get a Heenan promo after this match. I wanna play it. Let's see what's going on. He's on his knees to Oakland in the uh the thumbnail. Okay. Vince, a very brief combat regarding that action. No, you gotta help me. You gotta help me. The boss man's after me. You're running for the big boss man. You gotta help me. He's after me. You're running from the big boss man. There's nothing after tonight standing between you and the big boss man. You are a marked man. What do you mean, marked man? I haven't done anything wrong. All I've done is I said a few things off color, maybe. I've apologized for it. I tried to get his attention out there, but no, he thinks I attacked him. you got to help me. You know him. You know him. You can go to him. You can talk to Jack Tunney, the president. You can talk to him. Please help me. I've been on my hands and knees. I begged, and I pleaded, and I said I was sorry, but he wants to take me apart. Help me, Okerlund. Please help me. You can help me. (laughs) <laughs> all right so um what do you think about this era heenan wearing that uh that old school style like tracksuit i like it it fits well he's about to change again because he's about to go to the uh to like that blade that other that newer blazer he wore well he's with that tan, tan blazer yeah and he's not long away from becoming strictly a broadcast journalist as well yes exactly all right well, scroll down real quick. It's time for Blow Away, yes. That's right. Let's go to the Blow Away diet. As uh, Vincent Mann is uh, you know, alluding to people going on diets at Thanksgiving. So let's go to one of the most legendary skits in the history of the company. With the Thanksgiving motif, too. I'm just wondering why they were going to do a special the weekend after the pay-per-view anyway instead of before. Eh. How to get rid of those ugly pounds without the exercise, without the diet plan. Stand by. Here it comes. You've 
tried and tried and tried. But no matter what, you still can't lose weight. But change is in the air. It's the Playboy Buddy Rose Blow Away Diet Plan. And it makes losing weight a breeze. Here's how it works. Unlike other diet plans that restrict your caloric intake, the Blow Away Diet lets you eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Forget about strenuous exercise. Say goodbye to messy diet drinks. And never count another calorie. Because with Blow Away, you simply shake on the patented Blow Away powder, sit in front of an ordinary household fan, and blow, blow, blow the weight away. Want an extra piece of cake? Go ahead. Thinking about that extra <laughs> pat of butter? No problem. Because with Blow Away, you blow away unwanted fat just like that. Blow away your way to a tighter tummy. Blow away your way to thinner thighs. And blow away your way to a firmer fanny in seconds with factory formulated blow away. This was Playboy Buddy Rose before. But with blow away, he lost this much ugly fat. <laughs> now he's a slim trim 217 pounds. He looks great and he feels great too. The blow away diet is not available in any store. You can only get it through this special TV offer. Here's how to order. To order blow away, have your means and MasterCard ready and call 1-500-L-E-R-D-A-S-S. That's 1-500-L-E-R-D-A-S-S. Call now. Pause. We're going to blow away diet plan, huh, Rob? You've been wasting your time in the gym. Why have I been running 10 miles a day? Just blow it away. And Rick DeMotto Martell in the ring right now. He could very well right, be Paul. blown. By who? <laughs> I ain't touching that one. Um, that that looked like something that you would have never guessed was WWF. How do you mean? That production it was so different than anything that they have ever done. The production of that. That looked like something you would see on Saturday Night Live. Which, you, you know what, that makes sense? Who's the producer of this? That would be one Richard Ebersole. <laughs> this is it. Remember, folks, this is the uh, – what's the name of the company? Uh, that would be Once a Month Productions. Once a Month production. This is not a WWF production. There you go. I always thought it was weird it was Once a Month Productions when Saturday Night's main event never ended up actually being Once a Month as planned. Well, they just never changed the name. I guess. But, I, I, but I do yeah, wonder that, with the rating success, though, why it was never once a month. But go ahead. I mean, well, Saturday Night Live got good again. Um, I mean, <laughs> so that's the reason. Um, yeah, so that's why this looks so different from any other normal WWE production. Because it wasn't a normal WWE production. It, it, there had to be some type of uh, a real comedy writers involved here. You know? But who was going to come up with 1-500-L-R-D-A-S-S? Well, yeah, one, no, no, one, not one five hundred L A R dash D A S S. Yes, exactly. But what WWF guy was going to be the one to come up with that? None of them. Hmm. Not that I, don't, I don't know if I'd sure. say that, but they didn't have writers at this time. Big, it's all just Vince and Pat. You don't think Vince or Pat would come up with that? No, no way. Okay. What they should have done instead of having the uh, before and after be completely identical, they should have done the Alex Jones thing where he's just redder in the after. <laughs> You've seen that, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is just, is, again, this is something that is so different because it is different. Yes. So, Playboy Buddy Rose will live in infamy, you know, with this skit, but hey.
he got paid. Just man, he was man, he was so out of shape here. To good lord, and he could still he could still do, do his all his usual stuff when he wanted to. He could do kip ups. Yeah. He could still do the one handed push ups. Yeah, he was he was athletically gifted. That's for sure. I mean, that's one of those things that like you see someone like him or like today with like an Ace Romero. And yeah, some people will get to a certain level if they really work at it. Some people are just athletically gifted regardless of what they look like or what they try to do. Yeah. Yeah. And there are other ones, too, over the years that were big big dudes that could do different things. A John you know? and a Smurdock. Yeah. Terry Gordy. Rip Martell beat Tito Santana with a Boston Crab in 649. Santana looked great. Martel was fine. Too bad Tito's really gave the glorified job a role because he has a lot of talent, but he's just been around too long. Three stars. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Tito. Tito was, was still one of the best workers they had, but by this point in time, he had been the, been the company for seven years. Continuous. I think if he would have left and came back, if he would have left and went, went somewhere for a little bit and then came back, his career could have been different. Or maybe... But he, I mean, he stayed and got paid. I mean, if they're willing to keep you around, I don't blame it for not leaving. You know, you're home. Yeah. So I don't blame him at all. All right. Is that it? Is there anything else? Because that's all Dave has. Scroll down. Uh, it, it, there's the show closing warrior interview, but that's about well, it. Well, we need, we need Jake. Let's, let's listen to Jake, blind Jake here. Well, no, he's got he's, the glasses on. He's got the glasses on, even though we just wrestled the night before. But okay. Well. All right, uh, Jake, Jake Roberts. Let's go back for a minute, back in time when oh, Model Rick Martel sprayed you oh, in the eyes right with the his eye. fragrance, arrogance. Got it right Your vision damaged. The extent of that damage unknown. At first, Martel said it was an accident. Then he said he did it on purpose. And now, with your vision still not a hundred percent, your thoughts on the model, Rick Martel? My thoughts? You know, you're right, Gene. My eyes may not be what they once were, but as one sense is weakened, other senses get more acute. And now I've got the sense that it's you who are having trouble seeing, Martel. You are the one who's truly blind. Blind to the fact that now that Survivor Series is over, you've got no one to hide behind. No teammates to look out for you. No one to help you see your way clear. You're out in the open for all to see. So now it's going to be me and you. One-on-one. -on -one. You gambled, Martel, and you lost. You rolled the dice, and they came up. Snake eyes. Oh, there we go. Jake with the eye. Yeah, I remember, that's how he wrestled, Bix. He wrestled with the one eye. All right, eye. let's go back in time now. Let's pick up the action in the World Wrestling Federation Championship matchup. The match officially over now. Yeah, let's hear what Warriors got to say. Here comes the Macho King, Randy Savage, crashing the scepter into the midsection of the champion. Then grabbing the scepter from the top third buckling. There's the big angle. Into the ultimate Warriors. It does lead throw. to a match. It looks like nothing or no Not one yet. could stop the Macho King. And it looks like nobody's going to stop the Macho King until he wins that WWF Title. Standing by, Sean Mooney. With me, the World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior. What I hold in my hands, Macho King, to you, it only represents the uh -oh. World Wrestling Federation heavyweight. Serious Warrior, no face paint. But to me, within this, Dave did say it was a good promo. Are the tendons and the ligaments 
the muscle tissue, the organs that form the bond between me and my warriors. And you, Macho King, you tried to break that bond. After the match, Macho King, I looked into the eyes of my warriors and I saw tears. Tears. But when I looked again, Macho King, I saw no more tears. I saw only what you will see. I saw nothing. Nothing but rage! Man, I ain't never seen two people so peep. Ultimate Warrior, I ain't never seen him so mad. King Macho Savage, when these guys go to it, the earth is gonna tremble. Come on, everybody! King Macho Savage. Where has this warrior been all the whole time? In that game, some with meat on the bone. Okay, I'm curious it's to see. Long enough. I'm curious to see the promo at the beginning of the show since Dave said both promos were good. All right, well let's watch that. Ultimate Warrior Ted DiBiase cool says thing. that everyone has a price. Well, let's talk about the power of money and what money can buy, and more importantly, let's talk about what the Million Dollar Man will do to get the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. All the money in the world can't buy what it takes to be a champion, Ted DiBiase. Dollars do not buy desire. Bankrolls do not build biceps. And the world does not sing your praises because of C-notes. Ted DiBiase, it is not the power of money that flows through these veins. It is the power of my warriors. A power that cannot be bought. Yet a power that came to me at a tremendous cost. Sacrifice. And sacrifice, Ted DiBiase, is the bottom line. What are you willing to give up? How much is the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt really worth to you? You say that everybody has a price. Well, what price are you willing to It's a, it's, he's still warrior, but he's slightly more human. And it works. He's not talking all this shit. <laughs> you it's know? The rocket fuel. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. No. Yeah. What took so long? <laughs> yeah, a little late. Yeah. <laughs> Two good promos from Warrior on this one show. Yeah. And then he's back to his usual shit right after. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I, go ahead. Yeah, I know. The special drew an 8.6 rating, 16 share. Good for 57 for the week. By far the lowest TV on the primetime show. And in fact, lower than Eastern Amendment Event Show. Show finished third national in a slot behind ABC's 2020, 12.6. They got 31st place. And Dallas on CBS, 10.6 rating, 45th place. There were a total of 15 million viewers for the show. As compared with $33 million for the 88 Andre Hogan match. The show replaced Quantum Leap. Great show. Averages an 8.3 rating, so did only slightly better than the poor rating NBC regularly does in the time slot. That said, this is the only Prime Five special because it was originally going to be a Saturday Night's main event that's not live. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it cost anyone any like real extra money or anything to do this as far as comparing it to 
the previous ones and comparing it to Quantum Leap and all that. Yeah. But, yeah. uh... I mean, for what it for what the situation was, I mean, you couldn't ask for much better, I would think. No, was it ever explained why they decided to switch this from Saturday night's main event to Friday night? Um, do I have it in the notes? Let me see, because I. Uh, okay, I don't have it in the notes. Thought I might have. But that's what, that that was like the primary reason that they didn't do the show the tag title change with Hearts and Rockers. Yes, talk about that real quick. Yeah, before we move on, like that, it, it, there were a few reasons. There was the match getting messed up by the rope breaking and not getting fixed, and just editing around it. There was the decision to not let Neidhart go. There was a lot going on, but one of the reasons was just that. NBC changed this to a one-hour primetime special, and the only way to make it fit would be to get rid of that long tag title match. Yep. I mean, that's basically it. I'm trying to find... Because I have remember seeing it, but I can't remember where. Uh, you remember seeing it while you were putting the notes together, you mean? Yeah. Ah, uh, shit. Let me see which... Um, I can't remember if it was Matt Watch, if it was uh, if it was, a, it was an observer. It was one of them. But uh, anyway, I mean, they made the switch, so NBC made the switch, not WWF, because you know they wanted to, they wanted it to be in uh, on Saturday night. But, I'm curious uh, anyway. though, was it supposed to be that weekend, or was it supposed to be originally, or the yes. previous week? Okay, it was supposed yes. to be Thanksgiving weekend still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they just wanted to, they were just I guess ready to get rid of WF at this point in time mainly. Well the thing you that know? really leads to it is the Iraq stuff and how they feel that hurts the ratings too. Yeah, but I mean it was already simmering before then. Um as it was said, you know, in the newsletters, it was already uh there was already some uh issues there going in. And I found what I needed to find. This is from Matt Watch. It was buried in some deal. But it doesn't really say why it was moved. Just here's what it, here's what Steve said. The main event audience erosion was the most telling and fulfilled our prediction of Titan's worst NBC rating ever. For one thing, the decision to move the show to Friday night was made so late, it did not even make the trade publications. And Titan could not even insert promotion into any prior show but the Survivor's special itself. Oh. Secondly, the main event inherited one of the worst slots on the NBC schedule, and pro wrestling, even though that style is no longer mainline chic enough to command a big one-time audience in prime time. So that's what Steve said. So if we search the listings for that week, for Saturday Night's main event, that's what we'll see. And the trades... So or in the news, I, I mean, he said the trades. I'm assuming if there wasn't enough time to put in syndication, it might not have made the newspapers either. Well, well, I mean, let's see. All right. So, November 24th, 1990? Uh, is it 24th or 23rd? Let me check since I still have open. 23rd is the air date. Is the air date, uh, as it ends up being 24th, would have been Saturday. Okay. All right. So, let's see. Um, yeah, I'm seeing stuff listed in newspapers at Saturday night's main event for Saturday. 
Um, yeah, I don't see anything um, in Atlanta for the 23rd. And go to the 24th at 11 p.m. Eastern on, okay, on, uh, on a Saturday morning. So, Saturday afternoon, late night. So late night. Late night at Saturday Night Live on Atlanta. Hosted by Rick Moranis. Repeat. Hmm. Now, let me... Uh, and what time slot was this in? Uh, this was the main event, so... Those were normally I, 8 to 9 or 9 to 10, right? I say, I was looking at the normal slot. I mean, I found I, the Hartford I, Current say, say, having a thing about Friday main event, at least. You see, with, with the grid, though, on... Uh, well, looking at the AJC, they just... They don't have a, a nighttime grid... I'm looking at it here. All right, prime time. Here it is. So, oh, it was on at ten. Friday at ten. This Friday special. at ten. Friday at ten. On it, it is uh, on uh, on the AJC for November twenty third. Yeah, I'm seeing some places do have it, but <sighs> interesting. So yeah. okay. So how is Dave not mentioning that? I don't know. I went to observers and I didn't see it. I knew I'd seen it somewhere. And it was buried in, in a mat wash thing. Because if you're talking, though, about the rating, it's kind of important to give the context. Yeah. Okay, so here's something I'm trying to remember. Had Rocker's Heart Foundation been hyped on TV? If it had, it wasn't nothing major. Huh. Well, how, I mean, how much week-to-week was there hype for the Saturday night's main event matches on the regular shows? I I don't remember. I'm checking the torch. Let's see if there's anything in there about it. Because that may have been where I've seen, some, seen something. About what? About this. I'm, I'm oh, the re- the about torch. the reason, you mean? Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, the way it says here is that the... Uh, so the Survivor Series special was the Friday the week before. So that's it was mentioned on there, okay, but it wasn't mentioned on the syndicated TV. Oh, you mean wait? So on Survivor Series Showdown or whatever? Yes, that aired on a Friday though. That didn't air on the previous Monday, Sunday and that's Monday. Wait, that's what Wade's saying. Okay, that's weird too. I thought Dave was saying it was only on the pay per view, but Survivor Special. Yeah, but you can see how it could be read both ways. Um, yeah. But anyway, all right, we've talked enough about this. But still, that explains a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was last minute enough for the trades. To not get it, yeah. All right, um, blah, blah, blah. Between you up and the Superstar Show, and you do a video there on TV to arena shows with nothing but Ultra Warrior footage, and the Friday Night Special with the Warrior obvious star and I mentioned Alpha Hogan, it seems they're doing everything to push the notion of Warrior as the top guy. Notice the Survivor Series. It was Warrior who made the final pinfall, and that Warrior was the guy who came out last in the final match. Well, shit. He's your fucking champion. That's what you're supposed to do. Supposed to do. You know? And this is the uh, Superstars opening with the lasers coming out of Warrior's eyes. Yes. Yes, yes. An angle shot at TV, breaking up Rhythm and Blues, Jimmy Hart, Silent Honky Tonk Man. So if they, when they bring the two back on the road, they'll fuel one another and Valentine be the baby face. 
Well, it won't be happening in WWF. <laughs> It'll be happening in another place with WF in their title, but not in WWF. Don't we have more on that, too? Hockey's no, not on this show. <laughs> uh, don't we have something about... Yeah, no, scroll, look at the next thing. I first about in the UWF section. No, I was talking about Honky Talk Man. I mean... Oh. Because this kind of contradicts it. Yeah. Honky's not doing a call commentary on KMSG. Carson says wrestling will be done during the middle of the month. Were those in the same observer? Yes. Well, he's still using a typewriter. Mr. Perfect regained the IC title from Karen Von Erica in the November 19th taping. So since that time, Karen's pinning Perfect everywhere as the match went on television until December the 15th. So their title change won't be acknowledged until then. And I'm sure he and J.J. Dillon had many contentious phone conversations about this. <laughs> yeah. Pat Tanaka's new Orient Express partner is called Kato and wears a mask, but it's really Paul Diamond. Tanaka and Diamond were a top-notch team in Memphis and AWA, so it's an improvement, and Diamond deserves a break. And speaking of, we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Akio Sato will be working exclusively as a liaison between the WF and SWS, which is why the change of Pat Tanaka's partners was made. Makes sense. So, yeah, if you're going to bring somebody in, that's the guy. Well, he was already working for them, but as a prelim. Yes. Jack Tunney made a TV announcement that from this point forward, he only allowed Demolition to have two members, which explains Bill Eadie's leaving. Well, let's go to President Jack Tunney, shall we? The distinguished Jack Tunney? Yes. Upstate. An inside look. From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine. All right, this edition, courtesy Coliseum Home Video, the exclusive distributors of Hulkamania Forever. All right, it happened a couple of weeks back. An incident involving the Legion of Doom, Orient Express, Mr. Fuji, demolition. I speculated last week that our distinguished president, Jack Tunney, would be issuing a statement. Ding, 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 so. ding. Let's take a listen. After reviewing the footage of demolition's recent intrusion into the Legion of Doom, Orient Express matchup, it is the decision of this office that Mr. Fuji, the former manager of Demolition, exercised undue influence and breach of ethics by instigating the aforementioned intrusion. Therefore, I am taking the following action. Effective immediately, Demolition is on probation. Furthermore, Demolition will be limited to two and only two members. Never again will there be three members of Demolition anywhere, anytime. And finally, as perpetrators of demolition's heinous and unforgivable actions, it is my ruling that Mr. Fuji and the Orient Express must fulfill demolition's obligations to face the Legion of Doom. Mr. Fuji will team up with his Orient Express against the Legion of Doom in a handicap tag team match. All right, drastic action taken by World Wrestling Federation President <coughs> Jack Tunney. The demolition is on probation, the and demolition. as a result, the Orient Express and Mr. Fuji will have to face the Legion of Doom in a handicap match. So Mr. Fuji indeed is going to be paying for some of his past sins, thanks to President Jack Tunney. With update, I'm Gene Okola. Well, their entrance music says they're the demolition. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So there you go. There's your Al for having uh, 
axe gone. Logical. But also, you're not having demolition work. They have show matches regardless, for some reason. They've gone to Japan, for that mistake. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's why. And the liaison isn't going with them? <laughs> wow. All right. We get angle on TV, but does it, but you know, we get an angle for a feud that doesn't happen. So we're, we're getting angles like that as uh, Sardis Sardis and Tito Santana shoot an angle. So let's go to this, shall we? Tito Santana being the competitor that he is. Can you imagine? Watch this. a look at the videotape and he sees that he was beaten up by Sergeant Slaughter necessarily, but he was beaten by that Iraqi flag jammed into his back. His back. Look at what that. Got what is that? Come on. Jack Sonny's going to have to take action with that, I can assure you. Oh, no. What's he, what's he playing to? the microphone. Tito's spitting at him. And flat bolt to the gut. Here's Duggan. Quite the crowd edit there, wasn't Different colors. And yes, I see many people of different religions. 
How could they know that there was going to be a war? It's not like they were saying so for months <laughs> on television. Yeah, or you just talking about you didn't think there was going to be a war. Well, here they are, alluding. Well, they, so they claim they didn't think there was going to be a war, and now they're yeah. talking about on TV that we can tell close they are to a war. Well, here's the reason why Savage went out worked Survivor Series. Sherry missed Survivor Series because she was hospitalized with pneumonia of the lung. As opposed to pneumonia of what else? <laughs> oh man did they um, take her brain out of her head and put it back in during surgery <laughs> she had pneumonia of the brain is that how that works that's what happened Shibata. that's what I heard his brain disappeared I've assumed that he meant to type skull <laughs> or that his piece of meant to say a piece of his skull but yeah yeah some talk of Red Bastine returning as part of the front office oh yeah that's what we really need with this front office in this era a guy who's legendary for taking his dick out <laughs> and doing tricks with it <laughs> but do you think Red Bastine would have molested anybody no Okay. I think he would have been wildly inappropriate, but I don't think he would have molested anyone. <laughs> Ricky Steamboat was offered a spot probably with the one vacated by Dusty Rose, but they didn't want to use him use the Ricky Steamboat na- want him to use Ricky Steamboat name. He hadn't accepted as of this weekend. He will. Which is why when he cut well, yeah, and then he comes back as the dragon. Mm-hmm. Stories that Dusty would do jobs from this point forward until the end of December, but he won't be humiliated. You know? They humiliated him more when he was a, a, a employee was standing than they did when he was on the way out. You mean when he loved just getting his hands into poop and <laughs> all that? Yeah. Yeah. He got the anti-treatment. You know what's funny about that? The guy that's replacing him in theory gets fired because he refuses to or because he refuses to do stretcher jobs or not gets fired he yeah. leaves in part because of dispute or or had he already given his notice when they wanted steamboat to do the stretcher jobs i forget well, he was on his way out anyway so but still you get what i'm saying all right um blah, 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 blah. Expect care of financial to be downgraded and be pushed be, as they push baby face, but not one for the not one of the big three. I don't blame them, but at what moment do you think they realize that he is not what they thought he would be? I think they've already figured that out. No, but uh, that's why he's uh, yes, already dropped no, the title. No, I agree. No, I agree. But when? Probably not too long after he won the title. <laughs> Because he ain't long, you know? Well, also, I mean... He was, a, he was a champion for three months. Knowing how his talk with Brett goes a few days you know, before the paper, like, how many people is he writing with and having conversations with about his plans to eventually kill himself? 
Who knows? Is that getting back to the office? I mean, it's possible. But anyway. All right, uh, house shows. Utica on the 21st. Saw Warlord pin Jimmy Snuka. Hello, do you have a double mention? Earthquake over Tugboat when Dino Bravo interfered. Orient Express, which is Kato. Over the Bushwhackers. Carry over Perfect. Martell over Snuka. Doing double duty. And then Piper won a bunkhouse battle royal. Providence, same night, drew 4,500 on 21st. That's Haku <coughs> Excuse me. Coco, three quarters of a star. Teddy B.I. Silver Dusty, two and a quarter stars. Bossman over Barbarian, two stars. Slaughter and Adnan over Volkov and Duggan with Slaughter Pin Volkov, star and a quarter. Savage or Warrior by Count Out, two stars. Rockers over Power and Glory by DQ, two stars. Davy over Boris, done. And Heart Foundation on Rhythm and Blue, star and a half. New England with star readings. Are we thinking one John McAdam? Oh, it's Providence. I doubt it. Did he not usually do Providence? No. Okay. Rosemont Horizon on 23rd. 11,000 fans. As Saba Simba pinned Tom Rocky Stone. <laughs> Dustin Rhodes over Buddy, Playboy Buddy Rose. Warlord over Jimmy Snuka. Tugboat over Dino Bravo. Boston won a handicap over Perfect Heenan. Earthquake over Hogan by count out. And Hogan was carried out on a stretcher. After Earthquake gave him three splashes after the match. Stretcher top on a house show, folks. And Kerry double DQ with Perfect. Well, they must have come back with the stretcher match in Chicago then. Ooh. Because they end up doing... I know when I go to the Nassau house show in February, that's a stretcher match. Let's see. As I go here, let's see. Rosemont. Horizon, December yeah, 1990. No, January uh, 91. Hogan defeated Earthquake in a stretcher match. Yeah, because December 90 is Warrior and Savage. So they go two months. Interesting. Alternating crews here, but still building to the next Hogan show. wonder how often they did something like that. Yeah. Usually, you know, the next month, but there you go. All right. Um, Matt Square going on 24th to 15000 pay, $2,000 or $36,000 gate. Largest non-pay-per-view house gate in months. As Davey Pin, Buddy Rose, star and a half, Tubbo and Borzukov, negative one star. Supposedly Dino Bravo, but he didn't work, probably because of a bum knee, because he was there and interfered in the next match, which was Earthquake over Hogan by count out. When Dino interfered, half a star. Shane Douglas over Haku and a dud. Kerry Von Erich over Mr. Perfect when they had a double pin finish off back Supas. And, and special referee Roddy Piper raised Kerry's hand, star and a quarter. Match real bad, but Piper handed it up and stole it as referee. DiBiase and Virgil and Dusty and Dustin when Dustin did the job, star and a half. Slaughter over Duggan when Adnan hit Duggan with a flat. It's a flag. <laughs> Negative half star. Brett over the Barbarian, three quarters of a star. Rockers over Demolition by DQ, one star, disappointing. And it talks about what they come back with on the 28th. Then uh, Joe Louis Arena that same night in Detroit in front of 1,800 fans. Ooh. Horrible. Even more so considering the weekend and the show came just after the NBC special, which specifically groomed this main event. As Warlord pinned Snooka, terrible. Fire and Glory over Bushwhackers, decent. Bossman over Heenan in four minutes, okay. Warrior over Savage by count out. Savage just walked out, which didn't go over well. Coco over Black Bart. Rip March over Jay by DQ and JD to everyone in the dressing room. Best match of the night. Saba Semba over Bob Bradley and Legion of Doom beat Dorian Express. So yeah, Warrior Savage, eighteen hundred. 
in Detroit. <laughs> Not good. Afternoon show at the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland, drew 8,000. It's like who went to a draw with Shane Douglas, Davey over Buddy Rose, Tubbutt over Dino Bravo, Brett over the Barbarian, Slaughter over Duggan, DiBiase pinned Dusty, Carry over Perfect with Piper's referee, and Earthquake over Hogan by Countout. Then you got the 25th in Toronto, Maple Leaf Guards, $10,800, $160,000 gate. That's Dino over Shane Douglas, DiBiase over Dusty, Brett over Barbarian, Tubbutt over Boris, Demolition over the Bushwhackers. Rockers are power and glory by DQ. Care of a perfect with Piper's referee and earthquake over Hogan by countout. And this is also right after they cut down from three crews to two, which was why they were letting people go. Yes. Because they had been doing three distinct crews for much of the year. And what was different from before, though, was there may have been a clear A show to a degree, especially if Hogan was around on a given day, but it wasn't like ABC. There was star power mixed up throughout the shows in a way that there wasn't necessarily the other times they did three shows a night, or three crews a night. Yeah. All right, there have been talks between Vince Man and Bruce Hart about opening Calgary up as a farm system for Titan, and for Bruce to train new wrestlers as lack of new talents, one of the problems that has kept the gates down. Oh, uh, gee, I wonder who told Dave about this. <laughs> if it wasn't Bruce, it was probably Pillman. And because he didn't even. <laughs> I love that he doesn't even end up having the conversation with Vince. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I guess that's what the very refreshing letter about the wrestling business was. I mean. How. There's no way in hell. How does that become talks other than Bruce just <laughs> saying stuff? Wow. Let me see if I can find the exact uh, quote. Okay, here we go. Uh, okay, uh, here we go. At TV, I had a good chat with Vince. I suggested him that when my run with the tag belts was over, it might be time to give my face a rest and asked him if he'd help me get put, booked in Japan. He chuckled as he assured me I had nothing to worry about. He was far from done with me. He also added that he was trying to find room for Davey and that he'd received a refreshing letter from Bruce in which Bruce had expressed his thoughts on the wrestling business. Vince said that he not only found the letter interesting, but he also asked me to pass on to Bruce that he might consider implementing some of his suggestions in the future and that perhaps Bruce could play an active role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least he tried, but... Hey, Dave! I can't do Bruce. I've like, <laughs> been he having discussions with failed. Vince. <laughs> tried and failed. Also, so. think about how many times Bruce tried to do this over the course of the next 20 years. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. But, it, you know, and... You'd think he would have got the hint. But no. He held on for false hope. All right. Uh, a lot is expected to happen next two weeks on the bodybuilding scene. Batman's bodybuilding lifestyle is scheduled to get new stands on December the 6th. Insider support debut issue is very disappointing. 
All the rival magazines, with the exception of those controlled by Joe Weider, have written articles about Titan's attempt to take over bodybuilding. Joe Weider, the power broker bodybuilding right now who controls lead magazines and his IFBB runs the major pro contest, has said if anyone jumps to BF, if they go, good luck to them, but there's no coming back. Of course, this is similar to pro wrestling and that every bridge burned can be unburned, so no coming back is probably more of a scare tactic than reality. Nevertheless, be that as it may, notwithstanding, most of the leading bodybuilders are getting cold feet about jumping. Originally, McMahon was thought as of their, as their white knight to save them from Weeder, but the image is starting to lose its luster. First off, Dolph figured the contracts weren't as mind-boggling as they were hoping for, but still guaranteed income, something that isn't the case now. But more importantly, the contest winnings were worked against the guarantee. For instance, if you were on a $100,000 guarantee and then during the year won $70,000 on the contest, you wouldn't make $170,000. You would make $100,000. In addition, you have to give McMahon all your marketing rights, like the wrestlers. And there are bodybuilders who, between contests and merchandising, can earn two hundred grand a year and up. Not many, but the top ones can. And are their own boss. Contract also provides for 42 personal appearances and six contests, and top bodybuilders hate travel for appearances because it disrupts a delicate rhythm and it's impossible to peak for contests every two months. IFBB runs a few major ones, but the big guys pick and choose which ones to enter because you can't peak more than twice per year. The given that merchandising rights and threats of weed have become a, a like a giant yellow caution sign because nobody knows man doesn't pull this off and folds operations if we don't really want to let them back. Then they are persona non grata and won't be able to earn a living. The top guys, whether they like weed or not, can make a good living. The only two names insiders say were McMahon didn't even place at Mr. Olympia this past year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you can already see what this is going to end up being from the jump. It ain't started yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I put this? It was never a good idea. It was a it's a better idea in 1990 than it seems like with hindsight because you're still a few oh, just a few years removed from the Olympia being on wide world of sports and stuff. But like what what do you even think you're going to be doing with one competition a year? Like it, you really look over the whole plan it makes no sense. Also how do you think you're going to promote this thing to bodybuilding enthusiasts when most of the magazines are controlled by the competition? It's, it's just a vanity thing for Vince. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's all it is. It's simply all it is. Also, I know you'll be shocked, but if I remember right, the first issue of Bodybuilding Lifestyles mysteriously has letters from readers. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there's the WF. All right, let's go full international now, as this is 1990. We start with Japan, Land of the Rising Sun, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Got the Real World Tag League in high gear here. Let's go to Osaka Perfectual Gym on November 21st. As we have Dick Slater and Joel Deaton beating Masafuchi and Tsuyoshi Kikuchi. Mighty Inoue and Rush Kimura over Haruka Egan and Matoshi Okuma. Doug Furness and Ricky Santana over Samo Terenishi and Mitsumo Momoda. And uh, t- tag league matches. Abdul the Butcher and Kamala, too, over the British Bulldogs. Excuse me, British Bruisers, just Dynamite and Johnny. Dynamite. Yes, for some reason, Cage Match has them as the bu- second version of the Bulldogs here. Uh, R- Funks, Dorian Terry, over Butch Masters and the Skywalker. You mean Skywalker Nitron. 
the team of, of Land of the Giants, yes. Yes. Misawa, Misawa and Toshikawara defeated Johnny Ace and Katsukabashi. <laughs> Akira Tawe and Jumbo Shiruta over Danny Spivey and Stan Laird Hansen. And our main event, Andre the Giant and Giant Baba over the Miracle Violence Connection of Dr. Dusty Williams and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Hmm. Interesting. Then we go to, well, we got one more. Yokohama Bunker Gym on the 25th. Haruka Egan and Matoshi Okuma over Asamateri Nishi and Miss Momomona. Mighty Inoue and Rescomura over Masafuchi and Oshanagawa. Then we got Abby and Kamala 2 over Dick Slater and Joel Deaton in a tag league match. Then we got a non-tag league match. Johnny Ace Kevin Kabashi over Doug Furnace Ricky Santana. Then back to the tag league. The Funks over the British Bruisers. And one of the most legendary matches in in history, Andre the Giant and Giant Baba over the Land of the Giants. I love it. You've got to watch this match. You've never seen it, folks. Dan Spivey and Stan Hansen over Miss Amasawa and Toshakawada, and Doc and Gordy over Akira Tawe and Jumbo Sharuda. Yes. Land of the Giants. Um, really great tag lead, too, on this tour. Doc and Gordy's first time as a tag team on this tour, as, as the MVC here in the tag league. So you got that going on. One of the and, worst uh, tag league finals ever, though, this one. Yeah. Which, cause, which is uh, them against Hanson and Spivey, and it just does not click. Yeah. Why, I don't know, but yeah. Because it's not like but, uh, either team was performing badly in their other matches in the tournament. No. But, yeah, weird. Giant Baba. Yes. Oh, oh, giant oh thanks, Baba. guy, who put his own graphics and stuff on this video. Great. <laughs> no, we're not. I know. I want to hear the noises. Oh, this match is wonderful. Yes, everybody go watch it. It's online on YouTube. All right, um, in Japan Pro Wrestling, they're in Fukuoka on the 28th. Sell out 3450. As, as uh, we had Tetsumi Fujinami over in Yumiko with the Pioneer promotion as an interpromotional main event. Okay. Also, Riki chose Shunana Mahamaguchi be Super Strong Machine and Tetsu Shigoto by his qualification. IWGP Tag Champs Hiroshi Hase and Kensuke Sasaki beat Jushin Ryger and Shiroko Shinaka. Come on, it's been almost two years. <laughs> Keiji Muto Masachono beat Masaido and Shinyashimoto when Muto pinned Saido. Masakarisu beat Hiro Saido in a no-DQ match. Ken Kamura over Osamu Kido. Kunia Kobayashi over Kentaro Hoshino. Takuki Zuka over Osamu Matsuda. And we had a couple other prelims. Car was special television tape with no foreign talent. Ooh. It's a Hakata Star Lanes. And the prelims that we didn't mention is only one. Black Cat over Michiyoshi O'Hara. <laughs> you mean WCW's Black Cat and Michiyoshi O'Hara. Yeah. So. Yeah. Room ago was a big deal in 1990. It really was. Why? Because of Pioneer. Because it was considered like the first indie? Well, he had this stuff with Onita, which was a big deal. Well, that was 89, though. I know, but still, that was carrying over. You know? Yeah. But anyway. 
How weird is Super it that Bowl. we have tape of his match with Onita, but not Onita's return against Amada? Yeah, that's what it is. Super World Sports. We're at the Hababatsu Arena on November 22nd in front of 5120. Asao Takagi and Shinichi Nakano over Masao Orihara and San Sofiyuki. Apollo Shigawara over Hiroshi Atanaka. Don Arakawa over Akira Kaniyama. Fumiro Nakura over Kenichi Oya. And they had a one-night tag tournament. Takashi Chikawa and Great Kabuki went to a 50-minute draw with Naoki Sano and Shinji Takano. Which I guess they did a coin flip because uh, we have a team that make it to the finals out of this group. Tenu Genichiro and Koji Katao over Gorosurumi and Kendo Nagasaki. Then we had George Takano over Yoshiaki Yatsu. And in the tournament final, Tenru and Katao over Naoki Sano and Shinji Takano. I'm sure that match was worked very lightly and safely. <laughs> um, circling back for a second, I pulled up uh, Rimago's cage match and searched for 1990. New Japan guys had been working pioneer shows at this point. A promotional angle. Yeah. So just to get an idea, the most recent one at this point was uh, November 15th in Funabashi. And that had as the main event – Aoyagi and Go over Koshinaka and Fujinami, but it also had, starting from the bottom, Black Cat over Toshiro Nishi, a JWP, original JWP offer match with QD Suzuki and Plummer Rico over Mei Miyazaki and Sachiko Kogane, uh, the Spartan Cass over Mr. Danger, Matsuhiro Matsunaga, uh, another JWP tag with Devil Masami and Suzuki Yamazaki over Rumi Kazama and Jinobu Kandori. And a co-main of Jushin Thunder Liger over Ultra 7. So how much yeah. of this actually flowed onto New Japan shows and TV and stuff? <clears throat> um, I haven't watched 1990 New Japan in a long time, so I really don't remember. So, hmm. All right, the next tour, which will be the first combination of WF, is December 6th to the 8th. And we'll have Ted DiBiase, Greg Valentine, Brooklyn Brawl, and the Bushwhackers. It's going to be interesting to see how the Japanese fans react to WF wrestling like the Bushwhackers over the long haul. Well, the WF guys, they're big stars. That's mm-hmm. how they react to them. <laughs> I mean, what it is. All right, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. November 27th at the Hyogo Professional Gym for 23.54. Combat Toyota over Yuki Morimatsu. Megumi Kudo and Miwasato over Yoshikamata Namari and Erika Shishuyu. Sambo Sako and the Shooter over Cody Templeton and Ray Barella. Okay, what Florida wrestlers do we think these are? You know, Gregory Verichev over Ricky Fuji and Street Fight. Asusha Nina and Tarzan got over Mr. Pogo and Wild Bull Man. Wild Bull Man? Bull Man Downs. That okay, that makes sense, at least. So, do we think the other guys might be Texas guys then? Uh, no, can't be. Uh, one of, they're they're uh, karate they, guys. Okay, yeah, because they don't have cage match profiles. I'm looking here. There's a video up on YouTube on Twitter actually. Was well, a picture and a gif. Templeton has mullet and a gi, and Ray Barella has a USA flag pattern shirt and karate pants. So, are we assuming one of them just could be Jerry Flynn under yet another name? Uh, Cody Templeton is the president. Of Shinyata Kai International, FPI. Oh. Um, the Flying Eagle. And what's that, Ray Barella? Yeah. 
All right, let's see about Ray Barella, not Ray Morello. <clears throat> Ray Barella. Don't see anything on him. No, I, I'm not really getting anything when I search for Ray Barella karate. No, so who knows? All right, all Japan women. <clears throat> they ran a show in Bangkok, Thailand on November 28th for a 3,500 as Medusa Michelli beat Naria Tateno in the main event. Akira Hokuto shoots Suzuka Manami kept the triple WA tag titles or a Bison Kimura and Kyoko Inoue. No other results for this? That's only two. Thailand. Hmm. I don't want to make any jokes. It seems like a bad idea. Well, it's, it's interesting, though, that there wasn't more Japanese promotions willing to go to Thailand. I guess maybe they were – there are other reasons why. Uh, I could see that. <laughs> so, maybe. Yeah. Arrange a tour of Thailand with Buck Zumoff and <laughs> Grizzly Smith. And let's just leave it. <laughs> let's let's move on. All right, Mexico. <clears throat> CMLL on November 23rd, we in Mexico saw the Ninja Turtles <clears throat> win two out of three falls from Coliseo dos Mil, Super Raton, Super Manico, and Super Pinoco, yes, with a long nose, and a battle of cartoon characters, and this match didn't air on television. Then Octagon, Javier Monarca Cruz, Urcan Ramirez Jr. won two out of three from Ombre Bala, El Verdugo, Vizcarera. Match is pretty bad, except for some comedy by Verdugo and Bala. He used to regularly wear six mans with Brata Morgan as Los Bucaneros. And good dies at a finish, start on a quarter. Los Brazos returned from Japan and won two or three falls from Mondo Guerrero, Super Astro, Anibal. Interesting since Los Brazos held the trios titles for, for uh, the rival UWA. It was acknowledged on TV. This is Dave talking about this stuff. And he's doesn't, he doesn't really know every, how everything goes yet, I guess, on a regular basis in Lucha. Match wasn't as good as it sounds. Some decent comedy about Brazos and Astro did his regular cute height spots. Star and a quarter. Satanico, Fabuloso Blondie, and Pedro Aguayo went two out of three from Luis Mark, Rico Mendoza, Sankara Chigana. When Blondie pinned Mendoza in the final fall with a powerbomb, Mendoza and Blondie both juiced. Lots of good brawling here, three and a quarter stars. Kamala, Peralta Morgan, and Moscow on your went two straight from Conan, El Fado, on Tinebus Jr. Sure. Dave couldn't begin to tell you how bad Kamala looked. He barely got in the ring, and when he did, did nothing on offense, which is ridiculous for a new, heavily hyped monster, Rudo. All he did was suffer Conan's drop kicks. Morgan with a bald head from last week's hair match went both falls, pinned into Nebulous in the first fall to splash off the top, and fought own in the second with reversing a submission, one star. Yes, Kamala. And we have more Kamala as we go to the next show. Oh. The, the Sunday show remits go on the 25th. So, Lee's Market Atlantis won a, du- a double Mascara Culture Mascara match from the Animals. Her turn out to be Eddie Watts, the good worker to two, and Carrie Brown, the larger one, who both have been recently working in Puerto Rico. Also, Kamala won a handicap match, beating Mascara Sagrada, who re injured his bad knee and was carried out in a stretcher, and Sangre Chicana. Conan El Dandy and Ringo won two straight falls from Fabuloso Blonde, MS Uno, and Satanico. And the Ninja Turtles won two straight falls from Coliseo dos Mil, Subunyoko, Subratono, Subunyoko. And these are the UWA Turtles, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, circling back real quick, using Wayback Machine, I was able to tie, uh, bleh. I don't know what word I was about to say there. I was able to pull up a little bit more on, uh, Cody Templeton. <clears throat> Master Cody Flying Eagle Templeton is a vibrational healer. Oriental medicine doctor, hypnotherapist, 
neurolinguistic programmer, licensed massage therapist, and nurse. He has earned first-degree rank in multiple martial arts disciplines, including Judo, Shishin Kai Karate, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, and Japanese Aikido. Having studied abroad, Cody has mastered the art of Chinese acupressure, acupuncture, and Tai Chi, Yang style, for bringing his knowledge back to home to share with his students. A teacher of natural healing and metaphysical science. Oh, boy. Uh, Master Cody Flying Eagle is the creator of Tai Chi Dance, as well as the Crystal Point Acupuncture Technique. Um, I'll just say this. Obviously, we have some legitimate things here, like massage therapy and acupuncture. We have some very questionable things like neurolinguistic programming. Um, I used to live next to a chiropractor who did vibrational healing and music therapy or something like that. Or like, I guess, yeah, it was vibrational healing. Um, he was diagnosed with, uh, I forget what, he was diagnosed with something very serious he should have gotten treated, decided to try to treat it with his musical therapy and, uh, his musical vibrational therapy, I should say, and, uh, died. So that's, that's what a master Cody flying eagle reminds me of. Hopefully he does not do that to himself if he ever gets sick. Yeah. All right, uh, Satanica won the NWA World Light Heavyweight title from Nice Mark on November 26th in Guanajuato. For third fall finish, uh, both guys simultaneously pinned, but Satanica raised his shoulder just for the three count. So double pin type finish there. Yeah. How often Acapulco, would they do like an, an NWA title switch in like a smaller market like that? Happened quite a good bit. Yeah, remember the titles in Mexico is a totally different thing. Well, yes. Totally different thing. November 28th in Acapulco saw a double title match with Atlantis as the NWA middleweight champion against Satanico, who just won that lightweight title two birds earlier, and they went to a 60-minute draw. Wow. Also, Fuzzle Guerrero retained the NWA welterweight title going to a draw with Octagon, who's originally a student of Fuerza's wrestling school. only been around 17 months, and the second most popular wrestler in the promotion behind only Atlantis. Plus, Sangre Chicana, El Dandy, Uracano Ramirez Jr., beat Emilio Chavez Jr., and the Animals by disqualification. If that's true, that explains a lot, but it's weird we never really hear about it after this, that he was a guy who came from Puerto Rico's school. This could have been two 60-minute draws. <laughs> I doubt that, yeah. Because, wow, that would, that would have been wild. But yeah, Lantis is Danica going 60? Shit. <laughs> In 1990? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Wow. UWA. El Toreo on the 25th. And Nakapan saw the Samoan SWAT team team with Coquina to beat Dos Caras, Kanek, and Viano Tercero, who juiced when Kanek was DQ in the third fall. After the match, uh, Dos and Kanek argued about Kanek getting the team DQ to set a match this, this, uh, after that, the Sunday after. Also, Viano's 1 4 and 5 won a non title match over the trio's champions, Los Barrazos. The Killer, Dr. Wagner Jr., Fishman over the Kiss, Mano Negra, and Solar. One. Rambo, Black Power, and El Signo, the uh, new missionarios, over Silver King, El Tejano, and Marlin, not 80 Marlin. Jose Luis Feliciano, Black Terry, and Shua Guerrero, Temerarios, over Chaos, El Facon, and Io de Diablo. So there's uh, UWA. Wait, so R- Rambo had, was in the missionarios replacing uh, Tejano? In one of the new versions. Yeah. There's different versions of Castellanos a Silver King now, Vix. 
I just don't didn't remember that Rambo got slotted in there. It, it, it was different versions. But yeah. Wait, so the original was wait, it was Tejano, Signo, and Negrovaro. Yes. Of course. Took me a second. Then Black Power works his way in. Wait, so Black uh, Power replaced who first? Navarro? But don't get let's not do who's on first on this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not getting into that. I don't know. I don't know. Third race. There you go. Alright, well that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. Set some great nineteen ninety commercials. We'll pivot to the halftime segment. Where we'll talk about the Patreon show, hit the plugs and all that good stuff, Tales from Territories. And after that, we'll go back to the U.S. and sing half the show, where we got all kinds of indie news to talk about, including, yes, the genesis of the Gold Wrestling Federation, in a sense. So all that more after the break. The day you bring home your first new car is like no other day. And the first car more people bring home is Chevy Cavalier. That's why more people are winning with the heartbeat of America. And now it's easy to win with an efficient new Cavalier. I know the game before you play it. Mmm, Tyson chicken chunks. I know the punchline before you say it. Just pure Tyson chicken. Just family love you and you. Tyson. Beating you with joy. As good as good can be. No artificial flavors, no preservatives. Only the best for your family. Tyson's beating you like family. What you doing? Making a peanut butter and jerry sandwich. You mean jelly. No, jerry. See? Welch's great jerry. New Welch's Tom and Jerry tumblers. Welch's yummy jams and jellies on the inside. Four funny Tom and Jerry's on the outside. You can collect them all if you can catch them. Oh, I get it. Peanut butter and jerry. New Welch's Tom and Jerry tumblers. You can collect all four. They're more fun than a jar full of jelly. In Kalani, legend says, take a deep breath after it rains and that fresh, clean feeling will last the rest of your journey. There's a bit of this in every bar of Irish Spring. Ah, the lost and fresh scent of Irish Spring. The Irish never quit. This holiday season, share the adventure and romance of the Nutcracker Prince with the whole family. The Nutcracker Prince, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. Get ready for the holidays as Joe Goddard leads a star-studded celebration under the big top. It's the all-new 15th Annual Circus of the Stars, next. Buck Stuck with Maisie's Troop of Bluebells. What did you used to do on Bluebell Saturdays? The same thing I'm doing now. I've been out to see my boyfriend. Uncle Buck. Then it's the revenge of the angry housewife. Did I hear her say something about killing her husband? I heard it. Men are scum. I'll come back later. Baghdad Cafe after Uncle Buck, Friday. If you have a friend or loved one who's winning the battle against alcohol or drug addiction, then you truly know the meaning of thanksgiving. Share your gratitude. 
All right, we're back. I've been joining those great 1990 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And uh, yes, we're in that time of the month where uh, we're about to start recording. In fact, we're going to start recording the Patreon show right to record this. So that we'll have uh, December coming up at the end of the month, be the final part of our three-part series, our look at 25 years of Montreal, the story of Brett and Sean. And uh, we'll be getting into December in this show and then finishing out with wrestling with shadows talk. So, uh, should be a little bit different from the first two shows just cause you know, we're not in direct time here. Um, as we did the whole month of November on shows one and two. So, you, you know, you definitely want to listen to that. So you can be ready for the third show. And then, uh, we'll make the announcement on the uh, end of the December show. What January and February will be on uh, the Patreon. So it's another two-parter about one of our favorite subjects. That's all I'll say for right now. So yes. five dollars a month at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Nothing. Okay. All right. So uh, five dollars a month gets you access to that and all the other audio that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and this segment, which we're about to do. 25 allows you to pick a show for the week. So you know the deal there. Make sure that you uh, have two shows in mind, just in case the show that you may want originally done could be something that the calendar's already uh, been booked for that, that week, or it could be something we've done in the past. And please let us know why you want to do the show. That way we'll uh, be able to make sure that uh, accommodates you. And, of course, everybody else, you should know all the, the protocol by now, the 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday, all that stuff. So follow the Patreon website to get that information to Bix. Fifty dollars sent in for a segment of the show, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, let's see. We'd like to thank uh, Mike Poulin. Thanks, Mike. Dave Waddle. Thanks, Dave. Or maybe it's Waddell, I don't know. Or and Poo- and Mike Poulin could be Poulin. I don't know. Or, or Paulin, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Landry. Thanks, Jeremy. William Lanham. Thanks, William. Francis Lane. Thanks, Francis. And a return after quite a while. Or have they not been a patron before? And I'm thinking of forum post. Chicky Sports Shop employee. Eh, thanks, Chicky Sports Shop employee. Awesome. I Great think that's names. a return, right? I remember saying the name in the past. Feels like it's been quite a while, though. Yeah, so it's probably been a minute. But we think, think of you new patrons, you old patrons, patrons that have left the comeback. We thank all of you for your support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV, IWTV, Vix, what's caught your eye this week? All right. Well, I did watch uh, both parts of the life of Colby Carino. Yes, we talked about that, that uh, John Philip Havage, our dear friend, has been involved with. And, uh, yeah, Colby's name's been in the news uh, in the past week because he's looking to be going to WWE. Yeah, and even with his dad there, I'm not sure pre-regime change, I would have thought that was the best place for him. Um. Now I think it is. I think that is probably the best shot for him. 
So I'm curious to see how that goes. And also, you know, just assuming all this is true, you know, happy for him too, because, you know, one of the things they talk about a bit in the documentary is, you know, they have a good relationship, but Steve's at the Performance Center in Orlando all week. Colby's, you know, house husband and stay-at-home dad during the week. Steve comes back home to North Carolina 20 minutes away on the weekends. Colby's wrestling on the Indies on the weekends. So, I can see how this would also be attractive just from that point of view. You know, even forgetting just the actual work dynamic and stuff aside. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes, you know, because he... I don't think he's he still gets... A, he's still a young guy. He's 26. So, I mean... He's... We think of him as being around for so long because he started so young. But, I mean, he's still a young guy. He's uh, he's really helped himself in recent years, you know, ever since his addiction situation that he's taken control of. And uh, he's become a pretty... Damn good wrestler in the independent scene. So yeah, I'm, I'm, and he's worked he's worked a lot for Billy Corgan lately in NWA. So he's got that that seasoning as well. So uh, yeah, it's time to take the next step. So uh, it should be interesting to see what happens and and everything. So yeah, if if I mean, if everything's uh, official, then that's awesome. But it was, I mean, it's looking that way. It's not official, official. Yeah, but it's looking that way. So uh, good luck. Well, and it was Cassidy Haynes who reported it, and if I'm hearing news about a North Carolina guy, Cassidy's who I'm going to trust the most. Yeah, he's got a good track record. Yes. Um, yeah, just for, for what it's worth, he's five, young, he's five months younger than MJF. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, you know, it's also, it, I feel like... No one ever said to me that he maybe wasn't getting certain opportunities because of how people viewed him with regards to the addiction stuff. But, you know, he's clean five years now, and I just felt like he wasn't always getting the right showcases. That's changed a little bit lately, I think I mentioned last week. But, you know, if people want to learn more, you know, he's very open in this, you know, yeah. life of documentary. And, you know... Pouring himself into wrestling, you know, he's been open about, has been one of the things that's most helped keep, keep him sober. Yeah. So, you know, well worth watching the documentary. I mean, I mean, one thing I almost kind of wish there had been some insight to, but I don't know what footage there was for John to work with is... Especially for a younger guy, I know it's no surprise with that family and who his dad and his aunt are. That guy has as good a mind for wrestling as anyone I know, too. It's in the blood. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> definitely curious to see what he can do in WWE, which I guess now is turning into the fathers coaching their son's company. <laughs> yeah, we're going back with uh, his kid, yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And uh, they're back in business on the indie scene is, again, too, folks. So be on the watch out and see, you know, if you want to watch these people on IWTV, you'll, you can see a lot of people that WWE's uh, looking at highly because they're they're back in business. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the one things I wish that 
Colby had gotten to the point where he was being booked in like a PWG and stuff, you know, and was getting certain types of matches. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully the new raid of the Indies will make it that he gets some of those in NXT. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also, I just realized in terms of NXT, as far as size and stuff, you know, ever since the Vince regime went away, I mean, Braun Breaker just keeps working with cruiserweight size guys, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. So. So anyway, I, everyone I, check that else? out. Yes. Um, on the live streams coming up uh, this week after this drops, I guess the main thing to look at is that there are two ICW No Holds Barred shows on Friday and Saturday night, both at 8 p.m. And the reason I'm mentioning these is they feature the ICW and I think period American debut of Big Japan legend Abdullah Jr. Kobayashi. Yeah, he's been around for many, many years. Uh, yeah, he very rare, if not the first uh, U.S. appearance of him. Yep, and I have not watched much recent Big Japan, so I don't know how he's held up physically, but definitely curious to check that out. And Well, the- Deathmatch, Deathmatch workers, I mean... <laughs> there's not, well, a, whole there's not Jap- a whole lot you do. I'm well, f- big Japan style deathmatch workers, though. I mean, still, but I mean they're still <laughs> bumping. Is that? But I get what you're saying. He, there, there are shortcuts that can be taken. Yes, um, yeah, they're, they're using weapons and beating each other up and shit. So there's not a whole lot of uh, dexterity going on there. Yeah, the Friday night show is called Ultraviolet Vortex. So I guess that's the. PWG Mystery Vortex type gimmick where they don't announce the matches but they announce that he's on the show and then the Saturday show includes him taking on uh, another friend of the show in Hoodfoot alright there you go yes and in general that you know pretty loaded show on top also has uh, Casey Kirk defending her title against her husband Brandon Kirk as well as uh, Eric Wyan Eric Wyan Eric Ryan and John Wayne Murdoch so if you're a fan of the Deathmatch stuff, definitely a pretty attractive show there. So, if you're not already a subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right, well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go down that list, shall we? We got three packages that we offer to you. We have a regular monthly package of eleven ninety five a month. We have a yearly package of three dollars thirty three cents a month, or thirty nine ninety five a year. Or we have the best one: three years plus four free months, dollar ninety eight a month. $79 over three years, 83% off, the best damn deal there is. And it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. 
If you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-Day Risk-Free Challenge. You try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back a year to 1989, where we'll talk about the World Wrestling Federation. We have an interesting uh, set of TV tapings in Nashville and Huntsville featuring the taping of No Holes Barred, the match that will air with No Holes Barred, the movie, on pay-per-view, and a big tag title change out of nowhere. So we'll talk about that. We got all kinds of stuff from the... uh, the indie slash territory scene to talk about. So uh, a lot of good stuff there. We got the end of stampede wrestling to talk about. We got uh, a little bit of Japan and we got some Mexico and we got NWA Starcade 89. So we'll talk about that. Steve Beverly's on the ground there with uh, his crew. So we'll have uh, that part along with Dave's uh, report from watching it live. So, uh, yeah, so it should be quite the show next week. But the real story here is we have two guests next week reunited again, and it feels so good. One, one year from their last time together, Bo James and Robert O'Connor together again next week on Between the Sheets. Fix is looking forward to that. I mean, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. <laughs> I just don't want to be held responsible for it. We're not responsible for nothing. So all that next week on Between the Sheets. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix is at David Bix. And uh, Bix, what's up with uh, Wrestling Inc.? And anything else you got going on this week? Let's see. Did anything else, anything new go up this week that I didn't plug last week? I'm trying to remember. Uh, what did I plug last week? Uh, you plugged, uh, Paul Bear. Okay, that went up, Jimmy Hart went up. Excuse me. Um, nothing new has gone up yet as we record this. Should have something by next week about, uh, historic WWE women's matches, and then also the video game thing should be dropping early next week that we talked about last week as far as doing a more traditional type feature as far about all the... Jacks, kicks, kickbacks, and all that good stuff. So that should be going up then, um, and then we'll see. All right. Normally, at this point in time, we talk about tales from the territories, but I'm going to wait till um, next week because Bix hasn't seen uh, the Crockett one, and I really want him to see the, the Mid South one, so we can talk about those those two together at least. So. Uh, We'll hold off on Tales from the Territories this week, but I'll just say real quick, if you haven't seen Crockett, like we talked about last week, watch that. And if you haven't seen the Mid-South one, which is a, the season finale, you better go watch that. That fucking show was awesome. So we'll talk more about it once he watches it. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. Yeah, the Our- uh, the Vice app has uh, not been updating the last week or so for some reason. Yeah, Bix doesn't have... Uh, the device on any of his uh, TV deals, so he's watching it on on the app. So, so yeah, everybody go check that stuff out. And uh, Vice is going to have a uh, the Nine Lives of Vincent Mann this Tuesday, which should be interesting. Surrounded by a whole bunch of uh, WF-centered uh, Dark Side of the Ring programming. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite the night for Vince next week. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about it uh, when Vince gets to watch it. So. 
All right. Well, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's go back to the U.S. now. And uh, we've got quite a little indie scene here. We start with this. John Arezzi will be doing PR for Herb Abrams' UWF when it starts in the New York area shortly. Why? <laughs> well, he doesn't know yet. Bix is still early in the game. He has an idea. It was his convention <laughs> where Herb said that he'd be bringing in Bruiser Brody soon, and when told he was dead, was told no, he's just in. Excuse me, when told he was dead, said no, he's just injured. <laughs> That's a hell of an injury. Yeah. Um, and I guess a pneumothorax is technically an injury. Um. Is that the right term? I don't know. Anyway, this is, this is definitely one of those moments where John seems unsure of exactly what he wants to be in and around the wrestling business. He's a nomad, I guess, at this point. I mean, he's not exactly doing journalisms yet, but... Doing journalisms. No, he's not doing journalisms. That'll come later, but... <clears throat> yes. Yeah, he's in with Herbie. And he had been hey, talking yep. to Herbie for a while before Herbie start announced anything, too. Like, he told me when I did the Finding Spirit article about Herb that he thinks there's a chance that Herb had been working on stuff for so long that he actually had talked to Brody before he died. Who knows? We'll never know. I mean, we didn't know until the Dark Side of the Ring episode that he somehow <laughs> finagled a meeting with Vince where he put together a proposal to run WWF West Coast operations where he got left out of the room. You know? So, I think he has Red, red Bastine. I'm sure there's some lore that we don't have about old Herbo Turbo. Is that like the lore of Bray Wyatt? Hope not. Anyway, well, speaking of Florida, let's go to Florida Championship Wrestling. And they had a show on November 23rd in Tampa. We saw Hurricane Walker and the Terminator. Mark Laurinaitis beat Mark Starr and Ron Slinker by disqualification when Jimmy Backlund interfered. That's your main event of the show because we're working in reverse. Steve Kern beat Don the Stomper Harris when uh, Hurricane Walker hit Harris with a chain as manager Johnny G. Lyons was trying to interfere. Jimmy Backlund beat Johnny Pavros, Powerhouse Parker, over the Coconut Kid. And Frankie the Thumper Lancaster over Mike DeBacco. This group is running on fumes this time. <laughs> I'm sad that Mike DeBacco didn't get an Oh! <laughs> well, I'm sure that he's not Italian. So Who knows? There's that. But yeah, this, no, no. This, this group is uh, not doing great. Yep. Now, there's another uh, little situation in Florida during our week. A weird situation took place at the indie show on November 24th in Miami at a flea market. The Assassins, Gil Canatella, and Bobby Rogers, 16-year-old grandson of Buddy. Uh, uh. <laughs> <That's bullshit. laughs> Had a match when suddenly hitting the ring were Luna Bashan, her husband Tom Nash, and tag partner Dave Heave. Nash and Heave were at the Indies as the Black Hearts and will tour all Japan in February. Luna shot Canatella with a stun gun to no effect since Canatella had his assassin full body gear on. Somehow he fit the ring and did a few shoot kicks and broke Canatella's nose. Supposedly Heath was furious because he thought Canatella was making obscene phone calls to his girlfriend, but Canatella denied ever doing it, but the girlfriend traced the phone calls to him. 
Holy shit. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, not the least of which is 16-year-old Bobby Rogers, who at this point Dave thinks is Buddy's shoot grandson. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's time to remind everyone who Bobby Rogers is, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, people would either know him as the guy who told Paul Heyman that he would let him cut off his finger – uh, in an angle to get hired by ECW, as well as the guy who had a replica belt made up and went on Jenny Jones and maybe other talk shows as the gay WWF junior heavyweight champion. <laughs> that's always that's the best one. <laughs> the gay WWF junior heavyweight champion. Well, because because the thing well the thing I always wonder, and I think you have the same question is. Is he saying he's a gay man who holds the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, or is he the holder of the gay WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, <laughs> or the WWF Gay Junior Heavyweight Championship? Who would be booking the gay WWF uh, Junior Heavyweight Division? Uh, I, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> well, I mean, would Terry Garvin be in charge of procuring the I hope that? not. <laughs> so, anyway... Wow! If this was last, if this was last fan, they totally would have uh, responded with the drop of Patterson saying, "What's up, boss?" Luna with a stun gun. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh my god! Also, the stun gun didn't work because he had the assassin outfit on. <laughs> Man, that was some heavy material. Well, okay. So on top of everything else, are Luna and Heath having an affair yet? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Because that would be another layer. I don't think they are yet, but I'm not <clears throat> sure. Weird. And Bobby Rogers mixed up in it. <laughs> All right, so now let's get to something that some of you may have heard of before on our uh, Patreon show on the Global Wrestling Federation, but we're going to yes. do it again here. Speaking of grifts. There's a lot that can be, can be speculated upon about Joe Pettacino's playing entry to the wrestling major leagues. Me and the questions will be answered when he does his first television taping at the Bronco Bowl in Dallas on December 28th. It's a major topic within the NBA dressing rooms as it can be used as either leverage during next contract negotiations or as an option for wrestlers who either won't have their contracts renewed or simply want to leave when their current contract runs out. The only names released so thus far as to the wrestlers Pedicino has are Eddie Gilbert, Jeff Jarrett, Katniss Jack, and possibly Chris Champion. Chris Champion, what do you think about all this? That bullshit! Plus, Dr. Destiny wins Terry Gordian between Japan tours. While all are good in ring performers, none, at least as present, have national marquee value. Pettacino himself and Mr. Current Television Network purchased from Jer Jared at a price believed to be between $1 and $2 million needs to be upgraded in most of the major markets, although it does give him a base to build from. Most likely, they will open up with Terry Funk as world champion, but one figures that the promotion will build around a babyface that Funk will most likely groom. We can speculate on the names of virtually all the WF talents on the contract. There is talk of one or two joining Pedicino, but those names really don't fit the singles champion bill. And NBA's top names, Stingless Luger, have many years left in their contract, as did Rick Flair and Arn Anderson. Steiner's contract expires early next year, but it'll be an offer to report it. And keep in mind that any numbers like these have to be assumed or somewhat works. $950,000 a piece for three years, $300,000 for two years, and three hundred fifty dollars for 1993. I figured they would almost certainly not turn down. Most of the contracts will come at due at some point this coming year, as will mean the WF contracts. Then we face a cash 22 situation. To get any marquee, marquee, marquee value star, or even to create one or be able to keep them, it requires today a major guaranteed contract. 
But if he doesn't turn out to be a drawing card or flops in some other way, you're obligated to pay big money for someone who is of little value at the gate. That's one of the NWA's problems that they got locked in this, into so many big money guaranteed contracts because they knew if anyone under the contract were to get over, that Titan would take them. Then when the profit loss board became embarrassing, they dumped the guaranteed contracts and began pushing certain people without contracts. And then guys like me, Mark, and the Nasty Boys jumped the Titan. So they're left with major holes in unresolved programs. If Pettisino does offer contracts, he'll be in the position of having to almost start from scratch at every TV taping, which doesn't allow the long-term building. He'll need to be a force. If he does, he has to have long-term key plans or he'll be spending six figures for someone and then not the way to use their drawing power to recoup that money. The running three houses, sh three house shows per week, along with bi-weekly TV taping, sounds good on paper. As an idea, this should appeal to the certain to veteran wrestlers who want to see their families more often though, for NWA grind allows. At the same time, veterans will be the last to jump quick into something new. That's a question mark if they have a solid position. The group isn't even planning on doing house shows till March. Plans on a pay-per-view event in April from the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City in conjunction with the LPWA. One wonders if working closely with a women's promotion that has virtually no appeal nowadays will be a help or a hindrance. Ringania did it and it probably hurt his pay-per-view. It appears Fedestino has financial backing to be a force in this industry, but money alone hardly guarantees success. The list of people who will heal financially that have failed in the wrestling business is a long one. Turner Broadcasting is a billion-dollar company and really haven't made any significant headway. It's the best thing for wrestling, both from the standpoint of the wrestlers and the standpoint of the fans. That this group makes a go of it. It gives everyone more options and will make 1991 more interesting, where they can make it as something completely different. The odds, at least today, given the state of the business, are not in their favor. But there's enough money involved in this venture, reportedly $25 million, that can last enough time that things are going on the right track that can last through a business recession. <laughs> uh, where do we start? <laughs> Oh, man. <clears throat> we talked about this, you know, on the Patreon show when I went through all this. I mean, it's... <sighs> it's something. At least Dave is more skeptical than everyone else, but... What? Where do we even start? Oh, the Steiners are going to get million-dollar contracts? <laughs> I think they end up getting $350,000 a year deals. From WCW? Yes. So they may have used this as leverage. No, what Dave is saying is that, let, that that's the rumored deal WCW was going to give them. Oh, okay. He, he I, heard mis I misread wrong. that. Okay. I said, well, he, he, heard, he heard wrong or he misconstrued it because I think he said $350,000 a year was what they got, but he said nine fifty. Well, you're right. He, but it's, right, right. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I understand now how I misunderstood it. But he still, like, I mean, I guess if you're going to start a – try to start a national promotion, buying the USWA syndication network makes sense in theory because, well, yeah. not only is it the next biggest syndication network in wrestling, but something gets forgotten. A lot of the time their ad inventory is being sold alongside WCW. Mm-hmm. Have we explained that much before? I think I should, right? I mean, you can always bring it back, yeah. Action Media Group sold the ad inventory for both WCW and USWA syndication. Mm-hmm. That was something I knew for a long time, what I did not know until the last year or so, 
when I found it in a mat watch and then found further proof in an issue, I think, of broadcasting. They also had a package called TWN Plus because the WCW shows were still <coughs> being sold as TWN, the wrestling network. Mm-hmm. That was WCW and USWA. Yeah. So probably one of the reasons that the USWA syndication was making so much money and really, if you watch those shows, has an ad inventory that seems to be punching above its weight, you know, like with some of the major sponsors they had, probably is because of Action Media Group and the TWN Plus package. Yeah. So there is that so you, wrinkle too. That's like, always why – I mean for those of you that watched all this stuff, the syndicated WCW shows and the syndicated USWA Global shows always had the same commercials. Very similar. Skittles, Milk. Super Mario. Yeah. Super Nintendo stuff in general. Yeah, well, Super Mario 3 came out. I mean, that commercial is all over wrestling programming. Yes. So, like, that makes sense if you actually have this money, which they don't, but Joe doesn't know that yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, all this assumption of the $25 million, $2 million and... And also, how the, the description of the $25 million goes back and forth between, what is it, a line of credit and securities? Yeah. Or is it a line of credit backed by securities? I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, the the wrinkle I want to know that'll probably never be fully answered is, you know, as we learn in 92, when there are all the letters from Joe's friends responding to the Bruce Mitchell uh you know, a fool or liar column, or I think it's technically called $25 million, but, you know, the thrust is, was Joe a fool or a liar? Apparently, one Olu Oliemi, the Nigerian backer— Johnson Olu Oliemi. Right. He's not new to Atlanta. No, he he was working for Carol Overstreet. He had an existing business relationship with— with the Overstreets, yeah. So mm-hmm. what, he was their eight, eight their agent. Not wait. you know like agent as in you know the, the other way of the other term of agent. He was their uh, he was an like agent of the their, company. Yes, agent. Of the, yes, that type of agent, not like agent of talent. He was when you look at their um, LLC, he is listed as the agent for which LLC. We did it on the Patreon show. Oh, for the for the for the Kongi one or a different one? Well, and there was another one that we found that he was on there for. I can't, which I can't remember off the top of my head. The one that Nick Busick was part of too. Um, oh, what it's was been it? so long since we done that show. I can't even remember it. I I, I remember but, yeah. vaguely what you're talking about. I mean, I could pull up the Georgia Corporation records and try, but <clears throat> but anyway, I mean it's. It's it's it is what it is, but you know it's um it just let's go back to what Dave's talking about here. Um, so I mean Joe is obviously talking to everybody. Yes, he's talking to Dave, talking to Wade, and of course you know him and Steve Beverly are you know having communication all day long. So I mean, well, don't forget Steve's also trying to get a job there as an announce. <laughs> well, I mean he's well he's going to be he wants to be involved somehow, some way, but I mean. This is – you're seeing all this stuff here, and 
House shows in March, pay-per-view in April with LPWA. Why would you be you running know? a pay-per-view so quickly? Right. Yeah. You would think Joe would be smarter than this. But it's not like Joe knew <laughs> wrestling that well. Joe knew well, – no, Joe, Joe knew wrestling, but you would think he would know the business of wrestling better than wrestling. Hmm. Because he's been involved in the business side of things for television. And of course, he was I mean, worked for the you know NWA, so you would think he would know about the business of wrestling. That's the thing. Yeah. Not the wrestling business, but the business of wrestling. Two different things. But uh, let's move yeah, on because there's still more to talk about anyway. Yeah, let's go to Matt Watch. Billini has signed with Joe Pedersino's Global Wrestling Federation as talent coordinator. Edie will initially revive his image as the Demolisher after finishing his WF commitments at Survivor Series. The move allows Edie to work out his Atlanta work out of his Atlanta home, and he'll be in charge of recruiting and negotiating with performers for the GWF. Pedersino's already gained the commitment from USWA booker Eddie Gilbert as television coordinator. Gilbert will handle creative duration for the GWF TV shows. Pedersino is now looking for an arena show coordinator, but will likely not begin Sears House shows until the spring of 1991. Let's go to the torch. They're playing off each other here. Candidates for the house, because Joe's talking to everybody. Candidates mm-hmm. for the house show coordinator position includes the following Cowboy Bill Watts, Jim Cornette, Terry Funk, and Tom Bernesto. Interesting name. Okay. Joe Pedicino told, told the torch he planned to contact Watts to see if there's interest on his side in that position and compatibility in a hierarchical position. One person in the business told the torch that there's no way Bill Watts would answer to Joe Pedicino. <laughs> okay, I found it, by the way. Regency International and Associates. Uh, the there initial board of directors had three of the Kangi directors, Carol Lindsay, Carol O. Lindsay, Jay Oluoliemi, and Conrad Burke. Conrad Burke, that's the other name. Yes. Forgot about Conrad Burke. Yes. So not Conrad. Not not the original Conrad that was in the wrestling business. So what was trying to be. (laughs) What was uh their main business? Real estate, I think. Okay. I think Carol was involved in, in a real estate type setting but she probably all that they all probably had other things in the fire other irons in the fire so to speak and at least that's from 89 i believe yes when they incorporated that company so that's uh, july 89 yes so i mean really the grand scheme of things you can say to a degree this is carol Lindsay's fault yes by vouching for this guy who I don't even know if we asked this question on the Patreon show. It's like, who went to who first? Did Joe go to Carol first? Or did Carol go to Joe first? Oh, as far as checking him out? No, to start a, just to start a wrestling. That yeah, was only Emmy showing up at Joe's office, I believe. So that's so that's how we started with this. That's the alleged that. story. Yes. Huh. Okay. I mean, I mean, I. It sounds like it's something that's, that's definitely feasible of happening. And Joe was high profile in Atlanta, for God's sakes, you know. 
Yeah. So, but it makes you wonder why would he get involved with uh, the wrestling? Well, he would want to start a wrestling promotion or want to pretend to start a wrestling promotion. Well, we still don't know if any if he made any actual money that he grifted off of anyone with this. We really don't. Because, I mean, Joe put money into the company, I think, but it doesn't seem like Joe paid Ola Yemi money, right? No. It just, it's so weird. Like, what was this long con? What was he trying to pull off? Like, obviously, to some degree, it seems like he was trying to pull off a, an early in-person version of a 419 scam, but how? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we're missing, too, is like... Where did the scam end and uh, maybe even a little bit on his part an attempt to start a promotion began? Yeah, I don't know. Weird. Uh, oh, and uh, I mean, Eddie Gilbert. Here's Eddie Gilbert here, you know, being talked about as the, the book of the promotion, but he's not the book of the promotion when the promotion starts. It's Bill Eady. No, <laughs> it's not. That's but they also say the talent coordinator is the Booker too. I, or at least that at one point they say that they don't say that here. Uh, I don't know. And we close out with this doozy, and this is back to Dave. Joe is talking to Rabrina and the Crush Girls on his favorite show. <laughs> sure, why not? Also, remember when the Observer used to call them the Crush Girls and not the Crush Gals? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? What? Yeah. But but what? <laughs> I mean, unless what he because he thinks he can offer them whatever money that JWP can't. <clears throat> no, it's just this is him, and this is what all this is. It's Joe appeasing the newsletter writer, writers and readers. Yeah. Gee, I wonder where we have seen that lately. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, he's he's doing a wrestling promotion for the smart wrestling fans. You know, it's a, it's is specifically being catered to them in a way. Am I wrong? No. There you go. At the beginning, now. Once they get into the stages of where they start up, then they had to go, you know, a little bit different direction. Yes, because you can't bring in this all-star talent crew like you wanted to bring in because you ain't got the damn money. No, you don't have the twenty-five million dollars. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the promotion that Joe's supposed to be buying. USWA. Well, is he buying the USWA or is he buying their syndicated syndication network? Well, if you read the newsletter, it's just both. So, or one or the other, it keeps changing. Or either one, yeah. So, well, and and or the whole television network, because I think ESPN is supposed to be included too, right? Yeah, but anyway, um, we don't have the TV for this week, sadly, on YouTube. So we'll go with what Dave says here happened. Had TV on Saturday. Joseph Magliano, aka Joy Mags, joined the Memphis Mafia and changed his name to Joseph Magliano, which is his real name. The Mafia now consists of Magliano, Ken Wayne, Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony, Eddie and Doug Gilbert, and Sam Bass Lowe. 
Black Magic is Eddie Gilbert's bodyguard with no mention of Reggie B. Fine who won his contract or downtown Bruno or anything like that. Eddie Gilbert beat Jamie Dundee to keep the Southern title on television. Doug wrestled Danny Davis with everyone in the world interfering. Cody Michaels beat Ali Hussein. That's George Weingroff doing his sheet gimmick. When Toji Omoto and downtown Bruno interfered for disqualification. Okay. Um, who's Black Magic here? It ain't Norma Smiley. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you that. At least I don't think it is. <laughs> Could be, but why would he be working on a bodyguard G- gimmick? I I don't know. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say here? Uh, it's always weird to see Cody Michaels mention the Observer without Dave also calling him Dr. Mark Keenan. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chris Champion interview and so he's taking the new kids under his wing. Well, that's great. He's taking kids under his wing because they need to remind him of the new breed, him himself and Sean Royal. And they had a six man on TV against Tony Anthony, Ken Wayne, and Joseph Macliano, which ended up with half the world running in. So you had a match with Chris Champion, Ken Wayne, and the new kids. Uh, let me check. I think I have some of the clippings saved. I'm curious. What, has he been? Well, well, wait, has Kawabunga happened yet? Yeah. We're in late 90. Okay, so Cal he's... Bunga, so, was a mid-90 gimmick. Okay, so he's been charged and arrested and all that by this point. Uh, yes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, great. And they're having him and Ken Wayne. Well, <laughs> uh, 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 and align <laughs> themselves with the new kids. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, it is Memphis. So, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where's Bob Sweetman when you need him? <laughs> Bob Sweetman never wore Memphis, as far as I know. Imagine that. Well, maybe Bo's right that it wasn't actually worse there than other territories. <laughs> oh, well, Kansas City's the ultimate. So, that's where he hung around at. Uh... All right. Jonesboro, Arkansas on the 24th, saw Cody Michaels and Jeff Jarrett win the USWA tag titles from Doug Gilbert and Dirty White Boy. And then two days later in Memphis, saw the show just by everyone worked twice. As Cody Michaels beat Joseph Magliano. Danny Davis beat Ken Wayne by DQ to win the U.S. Junior, junior Heavyweight title. Titles change hands on the DQ here. Well, sometimes. Doug beat Chris Champion. Brickhouse Brown over King Cobra. Jamie Dundee over Big Lou Winston. Jeff Jarrett over the Bulldozer. Bill Dundee over Jeff Gaylord. Jerry Lawler over Black Magic by Count after throwing fire in his face. Then Danny Davis over Dirty White by, by DQ. Magliano and Kim Wayne over the New Kids. Dundee and Chris Champion over King Cobra and Big Lou Winston. Jeff Jarrett and Cody Michaels kept the USWA tag titles, beating Dirty White Boy and Doug Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert beat Brickhouse Brown to win the services of Sweet Georgia Brown as his valet for one month. And Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler, and Jeff Jarrett beat Eddie Doug Gilbert and Dirty White Boy when Lawler pinned Doug. And this sweet Georgia Brown would be, uh, I can't do the Corey voice, so you do it. Miss Texas! Thank you. And then we go to Louisville the next night, which saw Cody over Magliano by DQ, downtown Bruno over Jamie Dundee, Cody Michaels over Kim Wayne by DQ, Doug over, uh, Brickhouse to... Excuse me, Eddie of a brick house, sorry, to win the Sweet George Brown for 90, for 30 days. And then Lawler, Dundee, Jerry, and Andy Marlin 
beat White Boy, Magliano, Doug, and Downtown Bruno in a hospital elimination match. Of course, it's like a first blood match. Lawler went to no contest with Eddie in a barbed wire match when half the world interfered. So, yeah, we're deep in Eddie Gilbert Memphis here, the Memphis Mafia. Yes, and also for the record, I checked. Uh, Chris Champion was first charged in early September and then charged with another act on another girl in uh, October. So all this is looming uh, when this is going on. Oof. Not good. Yes. Uh, Eddie Marlin, though, uh, told the Evansville Courier and Press that uh, Ashford, David Ashford Smith, Chris Champion, is no longer wrestling in Evansville. Local Coliseum no. officials asked that he not return. We try to keep our wrestling family-oriented. Where parents, students, and children can all come and enjoy, we certainly can't put up with something like that, Marlin said. Well, only in Evansville, I guess, they can't put up with it. Yeah. They also call him Ed Marlin. Ed Marlin. <laughs> Good old Ed Marlin. All right, five-star wrestling. But Roby's now running whatever remains of five-star wrestling now that Grizzly Smith has pulled out. Great choice of words. And gone with the NWA. Uh, <laughs> so we went for Chris Champion, Ken Wayne, to Grizzly Smith pulling out. No, Chris Champion, Ken Wayne, and the new kids. <laughs> and then Grizzly Smith pulled out. Uh, <laughs> uh, great, great, great. At least Rocky Johnson's more or less retired. <laughs> And five star wrestling is pretty much done to after this. There's that. Yeah, where's Malibu gonna go though? <laughs> Back to American Gladiators, I guess. No, he didn't though. Did, actually, he might have. Be, well, there are photos of him in like this, the style after from when he was on the show. But I don't know if he like did American Gladiators on tour or what. But he wears like the later style outfit, and there's a promo photo you can find online. So I don't know. World-class championship wrestling. Well, the biggest news of the story of the week is the folding of world-class championship wrestling's office in Dallas. With no television and little financial backing, this seemed to be an L from the start. November 23rd show in Dallas was the end of the era of the weekly Friday night matches at the Sportatorium. And the end to yet another regional office, leaving really only three regularly running regional offices. Donna one in Oregon, Christopher Love in Kansas, and Jerry Jarrett in Tennessee in the United States. According to a front page story in Saturday's Dallas Times Herald, the promotion run by Kevin Von Erich didn't make it with three causes blamed. Well, these causes blamed. One, no television. Two, problems from an out state promoter, Jerry Jarrett, who the story said was being sued by Kevin and Carrie. Three, a rent raise at the Sportatorium. The other rent for years had been $1 per ticket, but in recent weeks, because of the live attendance, had dwindled down to 200, around 200 each week. Rent was changed to a flat two grand per show. This rent was more than the entire gate some weeks. And there had apparently been a problem some weeks back with late rent, and with rent coming due again, Kevin couldn't continue. There was a lot of sadness when the announcement was made Friday night. This would be the final show. Has a majority of 270 fans, 225 paid, and attendance for regulars, since virtually no newcomers have been coming since the group had no television. This leaves Gary Hart's TWF, which runs weekly Saturday night cards in Dallas, and guys like Tim Bros and Chris Adams, who promote area shows, spot shows as the only actor owners in the area. Well, there is talk that Jerry Jarrett will return and promote weekly, and he has television in the market early next year. Ding, 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 ding. Now, let's go to the Dallas Times Herald story. Yes, I included the uh, quotes of note here. Yeah, this is uh, stuff that Bix had already done in the past. 
for our other project. All right, beneath a wooden ceiling crisscross of electrical wires, a large form of Kevin Von Air fills an office chair. Sitting cross-legged, professional wrestler muses, it's hard to know what to do. I don't have a lawyer or anybody else to counsel me. My dad is gone, so I got to do the only thing I know how to do, and that's to tell the truth. On the lawsuit, first my brother David gets kicked in the stomach and dies. And then Mike, and then Carrie's terrible accident. Now this, says Kevin. It really galls me that people can get away with this trickery and deception. Yes, the trickery and deception, like saying your brother was kicked in the stomach and died from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jerry Jarrett's response. We came out here the Vineers for $150,000 in debt and losing money every night. We paid off their debts. And when things got profitable, they wanted me to take 30% instead of 60 I just wouldn't do it. I understand that. Yeah. On November 23rd, Kevin ended the Vineers' 36-year stint at Sportatorium, where wrestling matches have been held for 47 years. After winning his last match, he grabbed the microphone. He softly reported it was his last match at the Sportatorium. He starts out slowly, a little nervous. I can't really go into it all. He tells the tearful fans. I gave it a good fight. I gave it all I had. As he speaks with the familiar lines, his voice builds strength and he hits his stride, recaption of his Vinerix persona. The cocky good guy primed for the fight. The crowd is cheering now. The Vinerix are down, but the Vinerix are not out, Kevin Bello, now louder than ever. We'll be back. Just stick with us and see. And now we go to the Texas Roundup regarding this final card. If anyone doubted this movie was final, one would just have to watch the watch Gilbert Mascaro removing the plat that was put on the seat his deceased wife Eloise had occupied for more than 27 years. Anyone who knew Eloise could sympathize with the true emotion of that moment. She was a true fan and a great lady. Yeah, when you're doing that, yeah. That's the end. Yeah. And or that's your feeling, that's the end. You can see her name in old newsletters and stuff, because she sent in results mm-hmm. and... Absolutely, yes. Whatnot. She, she, she's the reason we have, like detailed results with match times and stuff for yeah. Dallas and Fort Worth stuff from the early 80s. And Joe Shedlock's newsletter, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, should we read on a little bit more about World Class and then discuss this, I guess? Yeah. So Kevin was trying to arrange for a meeting with the NWA, but didn't want to work full-time with the NWA as a wrestler. Speculation he was looking for was the NWA the co-promoter show with him in Dallas or use him on their Dallas shows. Well, they were trying to, to do something with Carrie, and of course that fell apart, but you could tell that they didn't want nothing to do with Kevin. No. So, because they, they knew. They knew what he was like. Well, and, and, also- look who's, and look look who's in the NWA. There's got people that knows. Michael Hayes. Yeah, I'm well, sure Michael Hayes was letting him know. Listen, we can't we can't do business here. Well, also, Kevin Von Erich has this lawsuit, which turns out to be bullshit, where he says he's not getting paid his share of the lucrative syndication money and stuff. If you're WCW, do you want to take that guy on when the company selling the ad inventory for your shows is selling them with Jar- what with Jarrett shows? Yeah, that could be a bit of a weird conflict, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. The final World Class show on November 23rd uh, before 225 paid. So Iceman King Parsons pinned Tom Jones, Mr. Ebony. Dog of War over Mike Davis by disqualification. Chris Von Erich over Kevin Dillinger. Or actually beat Dillinger by pinning Percy Pringles in a fence backfire. Steve Sensen beat John Tatum in a lumberjack match when Dillinger threw Tatum a Che, but Sips had caught it. California stud Rob Price and Gary Young over Sweet Brown Sugar Skip Young and Stephen Dane. 
Yes. And in the main event, Kevin won the Texas title from Angel of Death. The entire car was done strictly for comedy. No bumps or anything since it was announced before the show that this was it. Oh, so we had uh, we have a lot of guys without their knee pads on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, Skip Young never wore knee pads. Iceman sometimes would not wear knee pads. So... <laughs> No bumps. It's a comedy show. Well, they did have a hard ring. Yeah, that is true. With Sportator unfolding, with Sportator wrestling unfolding, Bronco Lubitsch has been a wrestler manager and referee name back nearly 40 years. Announced his retirement from the business on that night. Well, yeah, he was a stalwart for all those years in the Sportatorium and, you know, Texas wrestling in general, so. Yeah. yeah. And so looking at all this stuff, I mean, look, I mean, this had become clear anyway. And I get, you know, if they're the local wrestlers, you're going to go where the work is. But like, we're in this mess in the first place because Kevin and Carrie were not fit to run a business. And Carrie's gone. Yeah. And another reason we're in this whole mess is because the contract said that Kevin and Carrie couldn't work for rival promoters and then Carrie leaves for Titan. Yep. And Kevin also worked for Rob Russin. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I don't I don't know what anyone other than Kevin expected. You know, I'm curious why more like I or if at least if like someone like Austin got an offer to move to Memphis or whatever. <clears throat> Austin wasn't at that time, he's not the guy to be that that big of a difference maker. No, although Austin not on this card. He may be working for Gary Hart. Oh, wait, no. I just realized why. Kevin's on good terms with Gary Hart, but Kevin and Chris Adams had had a falling out already. Yeah. Right, that's right. Austin Austin and Adams and Jeannie and Tony worked the early shows back in September or whatever, but that didn't last long. Yeah. Let's talk about one studying Steve Austin now. As we moved to the Texas Wrestling Federation, they ran on Thanksgiving night with TV tape in the Metroplex Arena before 750 fans. Three times, what, almost four times what Kevin drew. Well, they as, have TV. Uh, well, there's that. California stud Rob Price and Steve Austin kept their tag titles, beating the Simpson brothers. There was a five-minute delay for a commercial, which killed the entire match, as it was being done in live time. So they had to stall for commercial breaks. Why are you recording wrestling live to tape? What? Uh, Why? What? To save money. No shit. How hard is it to damn fucking when you have the tape? Just hit pause. (laughs) You know, Mm because you watch you watch wrestling television more often than not. When they go to break and come back. It's basically right where they left off. More often than not. Uh, with the commercials in the middle. Stupid as hell. Uh, Terrence Garland be Angel of Death by painting a manager, Abdul Farouk. Tom Ernesto Jr. Tom Branch. So, so I wonder if Tom Ernesto Sr. must be living in Texas. That could be a, a thing there with Pedicina. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, John Tatum beat Action Jackson. American Ninja promoter Lee Campbell. <laughs> So that's what, if you wonder why he's getting uh, pushed here, he is the guy with the license. Beat Cowboy Tony in three minutes. And the main event saw Al Perez keep his U.S. title going to a tournament draw with Matt Bourne 
in a best of three falls, totally scientific match. Wrestling itself was fine, but no crowd enthusiasm for the match. Bill Mercer did the announcing, and the commercials with the slogan, Texas Wrestling is back with class. This card airs on television November 27th, and if the ratings are decent, they'll do another taping on the, the December 8th for another two-hour special sometime around Christmas week. Hey, Chris, guess what's on YouTube? Well, I'm about to talk about the TV show. Okay. Well, Gary no, it's the, one that air, okay, it's the one that airs on the 27th, which is that one, though, I guess. Gary Hart's TWF had his first TV show air on November 27th, headlined by the time of a draw, going nearly one hour between Alvarez, the champion, Matt Bourne, they only had four matches during the two hours, but all the matches were very long. The show drew a 2.8 rating, which is excellent for Channel 27, which is the weakest station in Dallas's market. They'll be doing another TV taping on Christmas night for early January air date. There's been talk of the group replacing the NWA in a Saturday 8 and 9 time slot, but thus far it appears it's just talk. Gary did several interviews during the show. He was listed as the producer and creator in the credits. Creator, that's a new one. Gary basically stressed that with this group, you'll see matches with finishes. He didn't quite use those words, but made it clear that you won't be able to figure out who was going to win or lose when the match starts. Feel the changes from the world-class and Jared promotions in recent times. There was no fighting outside the ring at all. In fact, at, at no point during a match did either wrestler leave the ring or get thrown out of the ring for any reason. There were clean falls and no run-ins. Well, how about that? All right, so you got the TV up. Um, I mean, supposedly the match took the whole TV show. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a two-hour uh, show. It's on Armstrong Alley, so uh, yes. I forgot about that upload. But uh, let's just see how it opened, I guess. Well, and there's something I know I want to pull up, too. But... Isn't that the Wild West music? No. Okay. I've never heard this music before other than this show. Okay. Welcome to Texas World Federation Championship Wrestling. What? From the beautiful Texas Mexico World Federation. In Dallas, Texas. Championship Wrestling. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Mercer, and we're back. It's Texas World Federation. Professional Wrestling. And it's really class. Two of the most exciting young men <laughs> in professional wrestling today who show you their reason, their will to become the best in their business. To become a champion is not just to be out practicing the skills of an athletic contest. You have to get out and really get into finding calluses on your hands. By the way, if you can already tell, Mickey Grant is the producer of this show. And we got Steve Austin and Rob Price uh, thrown around center blocks. Building those buckets yeah. outside the gym. And these guys, Steve Austin, uh, I call him the mean green machine because he went to what was in North Texas State and played a little football, a lot of football. And over here, Rod Price, the California stud, also plays football and with the San Diego Chargers. You see what you're getting here, a calluses what? in your hand. Steve, what, what is the idea here of lifting and throwing? Well, lifting and throwing, it, it all comes down to the same thing, you know, staying in shape. You know, we pause, Rick, pause, pause, pause. He was a, he, were, he played preseason. I mean, that's a wrestling deal. You know how they say that JBL played for the Raiders? He he played he did like preseason for the Raiders like like Rock on the Vikings or I mean well I mean Butch Reed Butch Reed never played in the regular season for the Chiefs JYD they say JYD played for the Packers he never played regular season these guys went to training camp and they got cut during the preseason mm. they played for him but they never played in games that counted right there's a lot of them like that so that's just that's wrestling um, we come out here with the Rock. 
just to do something different, just to tie in, just put some finishing touches. You know, we like to be versatile. All right. And over here, Rod Price, California stud. California, that's classy business. You're out here in the dirt and the hot stuff. Hey, baby, some of the toughest people I know are construction workers. And I'm no better. I get out here and I work hard. It's tough to be a champ. Tough to be a champ. Tough is what this is. These two, Steve Austin, Rod Price, the Mean Green Machine, California stud. Champion getting calluses ready for their next defense. But they're heels. And they're basically cutting Austin a face stud. promo. A pair of the young men who will be taking part in our first bout. And the other half well. of that big event, the Simpsons. Steve and faces from South Africa. Now, this is the kind of business I could really Oh, my goodness. Into. Oh, it's at their mattress store. <laughs> Sean is laying on his side. It looks like he's rubbing Steve's back. You know, if you get tired during the day when you're selling mattresses here at Mattress Things, just lie down and take a rest. <laughs> here are two of the great entrepreneurs of the world of wrestling. Two of the most exciting young men I've ever seen in this business. Sean and Steve Simpson. Now, both of us, all three of us, in fact, have kind of been away from this business a little bit, but we're all coming back together. Sean here was the youngest junior heavyweight champion when he beat Eric Embry in the world. And Steve, well, you know, has uh, just excited people everywhere. Good to see you guys again. Now, now sir, he has. Super, my friend. How's business? Couldn't be better. Let me just tell you something. Don't let this mis uh, misguide you. You're still is, active, huh? This is the fun part right here. <laughs> In a minute, we'll show you the real tough part about this thing. Oh, the tough part, yeah. I know. I've, I've moved the mattress around the house. Uh, 1997 Shawn Michaels would find this offensive. Uh, what? Well, well, at least they win the business something they knew a lot about, laying on mattresses. He can barely talk. That's why he's laying down. <laughs> what have you been doing, Steve? He, um, you know, I hurt my eye a few years back, and then all of a sudden, from making great money, I suddenly found myself, wow, from one extreme to the other, zero income. So we got together, and we said, no, we've got to start a family business, build it like a family, with my father's guidance and my brother's help. We built it from scratch. I mean, there was a parking lot here where we began. One of the things that presses me in knowing it is the way you do There was an edit. In the background, that you Obviously. You an additional spirit and Sean looks like Ron Perlman. To the ring when you come in. And I, I look he looks like the beast. You know, Ron Perlman is the beast. Left bill in, in, uh, in muscle, uh, a heavy bulk, heavyweight wrestler kind of thing. I have to make up with speed. And, and um, Was he just addressing Sean and then they cut to a close-up of Steve they shot later? Yes. Because Steve, Sean is uh, in no condition to perform, clearly. <laughs> yes. Half flying, quick moves, in and out. So I've got to be sure that when I'm in there with a the hidden man, I've got to pop him four or five times to every one of his. We have right. to be smarter than our opponents. Is what, like Steve says, what we lack in size, we have to make up in other in our forms of wrestling. Well, I can... Uh... We, we lack in size, we have to make up in other he forms. He's licking him lips. <laughs> oh, my God. Visualize you throw these guys around like you toss these mattresses around. <laughs> Great to see the Simpsons back. We look forward to you in Texas Championship Wrestling. The Simpsons. We're all back. Thanks, you know, for as much as Gary liked to say that when he was running a promotion, nobody did stuff like this, um, we have seen a lot of uh, in no condition to perform promos on this show. <coughs> um, yes. Sean Simpson there might be in the least condition to perform I have ever seen anyone. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, my God.
He was on another planet. Yeah, he was. Okay, I'm going to see if I can find Uncle Gary. I know I want to find the American Ninja uh, promo segment. Oh, do we want to see the post-match Simpsons interview? Well, they just work, so that, you know, I'm pretty sure that it's yeah. a little bit more coherent. All right, <clears throat> let's see what else we've got here. Wait, now we've got them dressed. Too. Oh, we do have Gary, though. Oh, we have Angel of Death uh, vignette, too. Where he's <laughs> playing taps. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait, we come back from a commercial first. Saturday afternoon on Channel 27. Ooh, In, in Possession. possession. <laughs> Sean Simpson was in possession of something. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, he's at a cemetery, too. <laughs> it's in honor of Kevin Von Erich. Oh. No, for the promotion. Oh, I know. For world class. I know. Whose grave is he visiting? dressing room. Let me ask you, you, do you foresee any real problems in this match with uh, Terrence Garvin? Well, you know, a guy like him, he is a pretty tricky little competitor. And I think I'll just have to pick the right spot. If the opportunity is there to use the death wish, then I'll use it. If not, I might have to catch something quick on him. And if that doesn't work, I just might have to pull something tricky out of my back. This is very obviously shot after the match because he's sweating bullets and blood. Angel of death. And coming up, a big bout with Terrence Garvin. And right now, let's turn our attention to Gary Hart, matchmaker. (laughs) Next, you're going to have something right out of Phantom of the Opera. And maybe the Old West. Because coming to you is the angel of death. The Simpsons wanted it. You wanted it. A rematch between Austin and Stud and The Simpsons, Steve and Shaw. What is this show? <laughs> it's two hours, so they gotta kill time. Also, is there nothing between this and the next taping? Like that's what I was confused by. What Dave was writing too. They had long matches, so they're doing all these interviews to fill the long matches. Oh, let's see Gary at the chiropractor. <laughs> Down and so is the angel of death, and we're gonna come back for another exciting bout on Texas World Federation Wrestling right after this. Texas World Federation. <laughs> What a rush. My name is Gary Hart. <laughs> and when I get out of line, I always go to the chiropractic clinic of Dr. Kevin Witt, right here in Euless. But matter of fact, anyone throughout the mid-cities or the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you're out of line, Dr. Kevin Witt can get you back in. He's your man. Thanks, Gary. And Gary lived in Euless, so this is clearly just Gary going to his chiropractor and asking him if he wanted to sponsor the show. Hey, well, he did. Did he or did he give Gary free adjustments? (laughs) Well, I mean, he sponsored his 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 deal here. I don't know what the I don't know what's going on. What is this an Abdullah video? A sort of self-flagellation by Ali Farouk as he Ali ministrations (laughs) of his religious and this Abby. No, it's a picture of Abby. Ali Farouk, the strange man. 
and Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the, the Butcher. Okay. Why is this show two hours? They gave them time, so they're going to use it. Yeah, I guess Channel 27 doesn't really have anything better to do. Oh, we got Cowboy Tony Falk. Yeah. Well, it did a good rating and, and did that big rating, so of course they didn't. Oh, here we've got the interview about with uh, with Gary about how the promotion's going to be. So I journeyed over to the corporate offices to meet the principals involved. Come with us. Gary, Rodney, how are you? Hey, Bill. Good to see you. Good to see you, Rodney. Good to see you. 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 Good well, AC Productions is an international entertainment corporation. Uh, locally, we operate the Metroplex <coughs> Arena and uh, host a wealth of uh, entertainment such as sporting events, concerts, and we also rent the building out for private functions. Okay, how does, uh, how does Gary Hart fit into this concept of the new class wrestling? Well, we brought Mr. Hart in. He brings a wealth of knowledge Wait and minute. experience. Oh. He okay. also brings... Bill Mercer said the new class wrestling? How many names does this promotion have? <laughs> Texas Championship Wrestling, Texas Wrestling Federation, Texas World Federation Championship Wrestling, New Class Wrestling. Okay, well, I want to hear what he said there again. So, how does Gary Hart fit into this concept of the New Class Wrestling? Well, we brought Mr. Hart <laughs> in. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience. He also brings to it um, the ability to get talent both nationally and internationally for us. Well, Gary, I've known you for many years as a wrestler, then as a manager, and now as, uh, what, a matchmaker? Now I'm uh, officially the matchmaker for the Metroplex uh -huh. Arena. Uh, there's something that I wanted to do for quite some time, but I wanted to make sure that I was with the right company before I made that move. Uh, basically, oh. what my job is, Bill, is I bring the wrestlers together, make the matches. And uh, what I'm trying to do is keep it as competitive as possible. Uh, where anytime you see a match, uh, it's going to be pretty hard for you to figure out who's going to win because they're going to be just a hairline apart on talent. Gary, you've been noted over the years for developing and finding new talent, such as uh, Maniac Mark Lua and the Great Kabuki and many others. How about the accessibility of new talent in the world today? Well, I'm going to travel extensively and look for new talent all over the world and uh, develop and create as much new talent as we possibly can. That's that means going to Asia. New talent's got to come from the melting pot of sin. And I hope the wrestlers of the 90 comes from the Metroplex Arena. Fans here, free agency in baseball and football and other professional sports. There's free agency wrestling and other alliances today. Can you sign these guys? You got enough to do it? Oh, yes. Uh, we're well-financed. I think there'll be no problem. As soon as uh, wrestlers from other alliances that you're familiar with come available, they're free agents, sure, we're going to bid on them. And uh, I think you'll see them at the Metroplex Arena. Let me ask both of you this question. Uh, first, Garrett, what does it mean to use, to use the term putting class back into wrestling? <laughs> to me, Bill, it's very simple. To have both opponents to be competitive and to have a winner and to have a loser and you don't have someone running in during the match and getting the match thrown out you don't have disqualifications and countouts you basically give the people what they pay to see a winner and a loser and at the metroplex that's what we're going to have rodney tell me what you think about the word class in wrestling today we get it mr hart as we embarked on this 
uh, we did a, a tremendous amount of research that showed that there was a tremendous void <coughs> in the market um, with the winners and the losers and classy style <laughs> wrestling. Texas style wrestling is recognized around the world. Classy. And that's what we are out to achieve here. Wrestling with their pinky out. Hi, Gary. Speaking of class, this is like uh, the biggest event in the new the penthouse of wrestling. This tastefully okay, done. It's, uh, Al Perez, who everyone knows at one time I managed style. I think he's a fantastic wrestler. Uh, and uh, Matt Boren, a man that I managed also. And it's really a treat for me to sit back and see two of my former wrestlers that I managed have at it. And I don't have to do anything but just sit back and enjoy <coughs> it. That's going to be different in it. Yeah. Well, that was my visit to AC Productions, the masterminds of the Texas World Federation Championship Wrestling. Uh. And now we're back here at the Metroplex <laughs> Arena, and coming up this evening, our main event. What the fuck? Uh, I've had about enough. Well, I, wait, I want to go back and watch the American Ninja thing, because I really I skipped past it. Oh, wait, that's not quite the beginning of it yet. Okay, here we go. So remember, this fella... Oh, God. I thought I went to the right spot. There we go. Or, why does it keep not going to the right... Okay, there we go. End of the Pizza Hut commercial. This is the promoter. Hurry into Pizza Hut now for Eureka's Castle Puppets. Pizza Hut? And Batley are 99 cents each. And Magellan's a dollar... Remember Eureka's Castle? Oh, no, you were probably too old for that. I remember it. But ah, I was too old. Here we have something that is uh, indeed enticing to the uh, youngsters <laughs> in our audience. The American what? Ninja. Well, Ninja, you know what that is. And this ninja is a well that ain't Brian Adams. highly skilled no, that's the promoter. master of the Asian arts. As we'll see right the here, Asian arts. that's one way to break into a big can and get your vitamins right here. <laughs> well, the ninja is a big thing right now in the world, and the ninja is ready to go in our next bout here on Texas World Federation <laughs> Wrestling. <laughs> He just dented the can. Introducing behind me, wrestling from the red corner tonight, weighing in at 252 pounds. Of course it is. Fort Worth, Texas, Cowboy Tony. Alright, I've had enough. And what a what a show this is. Oh, and they only let people uh, go on fans crowd into one side of the arena according to texas roundup to make it look full for tv but because of the price difference between <laughs> where have i heard that from lately ringside and bleachers um they wouldn't let them crowd on the floor so the, there was only three rows of fans on the floor <sighs> both wrestling promotions these days do that <laughs> It ain't. I mean, that's just that's a common practice. Or yeah, it wasn't always. I mean, well, WWF kind of did it because they did the thing when they started doing the big arena tapings. I mean, forget about this, but for years, including on pay per views, they would crowd everyone into the corner of an arena so they'd have the long aisle away and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's all about manipulation. You know, if you're not selling out the house, you better put have have enough more people on one side than the other. Yeah. Facing the hard cam. <laughs> uh, Larry Dwyer, anonymously writing Texas Roundup, referred to it as American Ninja, almost crossing a juice can with the karate chop. But anyway. Uh, Why is Tom so, Barnesto Holly? Uh, whatever. Because he had dark hair and a mustache. Like George, I mean, George Weingroff, same thing. Okay, well, Larry Dwyer calls, says that, uh, whatchamacallit, that 
Lee Campbell is a management stooge, not the promoter. <clears throat> well, either way. And it was a 45-minute right. draw in the main event, not an hour, thankfully. Whatever. All right, let's go to the AWA. Speaking of promotions on the dying door, AWA should be just about finished. The ESPN contract runs out in a few weeks. AWA actually hasn't run a show in several months. Of course not. And we go to the and we go to the torch naturally. The only four wrestlers who are going to the studio to take current interviews for the past few weeks have been Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos, Larry Zbysko, and Buck Zumhoff. Bloom and Enos are negotiated with a major group. Until the AWA last week, they will no longer be volunteering their interview time, so they will not be at TV again. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the end is near. Now let's go to another indie group, Christopher Love and Matt Watch. Christopher Love's UCW built Eddie Gilbert, Destruction Crew, and Dr. Tom Pritchard for their Thanksgiving show in Wichita, Kansas. But all of them no-showed. Among the highlights, saw Rex King over Ken Wayne and Wahuma Daniel over the Russian Brute. What? <laughs> yes, that mysterious uh, Burt Prentice, Christopher Love promotion here. Well, there's footage of this one on YouTube. I don't, I don't think there's any from our week or anything. Um uh... <laughs> or that we could identify as being from our week, but uh, this is the earliest Burt promotion, uh, the earliest Burt promoted promotion, because we have obviously stuff of him helping run stuff like in WoW earlier. But this is the earliest like Burt promotion that we actually have footage of, right? Because we don't have the Dakotas <laughs> or anything. No, 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 that's not out there for consumption. I mean, I think the promotion died of consumption, <clears throat> but. <laughs> Well, there are consuming some consuming going on, absolutely. But uh, um, but yeah. And let's go to LPWA and stay with Matt Watch. Ken Resnick says Matt Watch was given an accurate info concerning his editing of U uh, the LPWA TV shows. Resnick said he did not demand creative and editing control of the programs, and states he completed two shows, not the one we were told. Well, that's nice. <laughs> Oh, me. Oh, well, we do have this with Bert that I, I guess aired on every show. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. what a great new offer offered by Universal Championship Wrestling. Brand new Universal Championship Wrestling. Like a screen. The official t-shirt of Universal Championship Wrestling. Now on sale. Call the number there on your screen. 316-733-1247. And we'll make sure we take your order and send you a t-shirt. They're only $8, but call now. We're only taking orders by the phone. 316-733-1247. And Stan's here today mobbing this shirt for us, a gorgeous <coughs> royal blue. We have them in six or seven different colors. Call now. Get this T-shirt. And the big news, ladies and gentlemen, all matches are signed for Thanksgiving night at Century 2. Oh, this is from our week. 20 <laughs> men in the ring at the same time. Well, kind of. Well, just before, but you know what I mean. Featuring Wahoo McDaniel, the trooper, Mike George, Rufus R. Jones, the zebra kid, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Rick McCord, Ray the Crippler Stevens. <laughs> Rick McCord, huh? <laughs> Pork Chop Cat, Wayne Ray Stevens, Mike Enos, T.C. Carter, D.J. Peterson, Bobby Bradley, Randy Rhodes, plus... Of course. <laughs> well, Aaron Fontaine's name I haven't mentioned. No. Ten other big stars. I think he's plus in the promotion, though. Crew in action against Wahoo McDamon Trooper. 
six of the greatest lady wrestlers in the world will be at Century 2 Thanksgiving night. Dan, thanks for coming over today. Order this T-shirt, 316-733-1247. Get your T-shirt order in right now. Is that a knockoff of Simply Irresistible or a legit instrumental? Oh, yes. that was it. Okay, that was a legit instrumental remix. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that was it. I believe Eric Fontaine is in the promotion, though. Well, anyway, let's go to Portland. Oh, yes, he's Zebra Kid. Oh, there you go. Let's go to Portland, November 24th. <clears throat> Saw John Rambo beat Brad Anderson by his qualification. So, uh, Steve Donald, Scott Norton beat the grappler and the equalizer, Dave Sullivan, by DQ, so the heels kept the Northwest Tag Titles. Smart Bar Sawyer beat Alberto Madrill, so Sawyer gets to take over the Fiesta Garden. Scotty Devine returned and beat Dirty White Boy Bobby Bla- Blair, or as uh, Dave calls him, Landlord Bobby Blair. <clears throat> and Larry Oliver went to a draw with Doug Masters. Next week has a rematch of Sawyer and Madrill. If Madrill loses, he has to hand out $1,001 bills to 1,000 different kids, which is funny because they don't even draw 1,000 kids to a show. <laughs> What's the Landlord reference? I don't know. <clears throat> That's a weird one to me, too. I have no idea what that means. Because, I mean, this is Sandy Bar. This building. Well, no, this is still the sports arena. Well, I mean, Sandy Bar's, though, running it. No, but this is still this is still Don Owen, though. Yeah, but it's still Sandy Bar building. No, Don Owen owned the building at this point, still. Sandy, I believe, buys it to run during the week as the flea market after... Don Folds. I was saying he was on the building already by this point in time. No, I'm pretty sure he's just doing it for like the. Because the I, he bought the he he bought the building in Salem in the '80s. So I don't think he owns the Portland Sports Arena until after Don Owen Folds. <clears throat> okay. So whose anyway. landlord would Bobby Blair be? I don't know, Bix. <laughs> okay. All right, let's close up with the National Wrestling Alliance about to become WCW here. Only Anderson was dumped as the booker, while technically allowed to resign on the November 27th, bringing about yet another change in direction for the NWA. You know, the last clash may have been the worst major show for the NWA since Turner buyout two years ago, and the ratings were down as well. The decision to get rid of Anderson was actually made before the show had even taken place. While the rumors are going wild that Dusty Rhodes would be the new booker, if that were the case, nobody could officially say so now because it could lead to tampering litigation since Dusty's still at WF until the end of the year and will return to do one last date at the Royal Rumble. Bob Roop was also fired as a road agent, although Ron West, who had suffered a heart attack the previous week and was thought to be part of the trio of being let go, is being retained by the company, probably as much out of sympathy for his situation as anything else. For the present time, the booking is being done by Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Kevin Sullivan and Ric Flair. This is completely false. <laughs> this is for me <laughs> because it's Barry Wyndham. Sullivan and Flair handling the crews on their respective towns as road agents. This community situation is only temporary until a new booker is brought in. While most seem to think this is just formality, since Anderson wouldn't have been fired without a replacement in mind. In fact, no replacement has even been mentioned, leaves everyone to believe it's Dusty. After all, why would he quit WF if he didn't have another position locked up? There's been thought that while Dusty's certainly leading candidate, this isn't totally locked up. And then Terry Funk continues to be mentioned, and even Ken Mantel. Uh, there's Michael Hayes trying to get his influence in. But Rose is surely the favorite. 
And there's nothing confirmed on Dusty coming in as a new book, rolling the rumors flying like crazy. Nobody's outright denying it. Most of the rest of the promotion seem to believe it as fact. It can soon be the rumor leak feeding upon itself, and Terry Funk's name continues to be mentioned as well. And everybody talks about Dusty coming in as the booker, as if it's inevitable and soon. Dusty is still booked at the end of the year. On house shows, scheduling is starting to slaughter to put him over, of course, towards the end of his run. It's unlikely that he'll walk any sooner because of potential contract problems. Dusty has a contract at WF, but they were apparently willing to release him from it, provided he worked at the end of the year, and then the Rumble on 19th. Most wrestlers seem excited over the change. Thought his promotion had hit rock bottom with Ole Anderson at the helm. But sometimes Dave thinks the Booker takes too much blame, although this last class was pretty much mind-boggling in too many ways. People want to remember that Dusty Rhodes had booked the NWA in 1985 and 86. who was a very successful Booker, and even as worse, in the latter stages of 88, when Turner Broadcast had to say the promotion for bankruptcy, the crowds were a lot larger than they are today. At the same time, the downward trend was started with Dusty at the helm, and the damage he did played the company for many months after he was gone. So I lost my spot there. Uh, and the damage never really was lived down. The thought is that Rose will be a good booker so long as he himself is an adaptive wrestler. Of course, with his son naturally going to be brought in, that has to be almost as bad. There you go. Still, it is hard to believe how show crowds can sink any lower than they have late. Considering this past week was Thanksgiving weekend, tradition the best weekend of the year at the gate, some of the crowds are even more alarming. That was Dave Meltzer. Let's now go to Steve Beverly. Nearly two years to the day after being fired from World Championship Wrestling, Virgil Ronalds is being rehired as the booker for WCW and expected to take over by December 3rd, according to reliable insiders. At deadline, the move is still not been confirmed by WCW officials, but sources close to both the NWA and WF have confirmed that Dusty will be making his final WF appearance soon. Also, according to sources, Dusty was offering available WF performers jobs in WCW in the locker room before and after his early elimination in Survivor Series in Hartford. At deadline, reports could be not, could not be confirmed that Dusty would be given a retirement tour by WCW before shifting to a behind-the-scenes booking chore. WCW officials were said to be angered at the reports by Dave Meltzer and National the day after Clash, and Steve Beverly himself, in a Columbus Ledger inquiry on November 16th, speculating on the Dusty move. Ole Anderson, staying with Matt Watch, told his staffers his final day as booker would be on November 30th. Ole's seven-month tenure has seen WCW Saturday rating stabilized at a 2.7 average, Declines in the power of an event numbers, a record audience for a class special, and dramatic draws in arena attendance and talent quantity, quality. Stand with Matt Watch. Analysts are saying that all bets may be off in regards to Starcade when Dusty takes over as the booker. One inside joke has Stan Hansen not coming back from Japan with the U.S. title, and Dusty saying that Dustin beat Hansen in Japan for the title. Put it this way, retirement tour or not, there's no way Dustin won't be pushed hard. <laughs> Dustin is still a, in the WWF at this point in time, so is Dusty. But they're already hammering that narrative in about Dustin. <laughs> what I mean, just hammer. bullshit. Just hammering in. I mean, with, with them going so heavy-handed on this, the kid didn't have a chance with the newsletter readers. Not a chance. Mm-mm. And yes, yes, I know that it, it was a stigma of the business. If a booker has his son in the promotion, that he's going to push him. You know, as I get it, it's a it's a thing, but at least give the benefit of the doubt here. Also, least, most Booker's sons were not close to as naturally talented as Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. But still, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, Dusty had never booked his son before, other than Florida, for that short time. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Yes, let's and- see how that would work. 
we should also mention the conclusion we came to previously about why there's no trace of Barry in the newsletters as Booker, but everything he says about that in the shoot interviews, especially the kayfabe commentaries timeline one, seems credible. It's because well, it he's the sense. dusty placeholder, and they're wanting it's... to avoid anything about tampering, so they don't want it to exactly. get out that Barry's the Booker. And Dusty's going to want to get his guy in there to set him up. Yes. And who's in the company? That would be the perfect choice. Barry Wyndham. Also, with hindsight, this didn't hit me till now. It makes you wonder about the whole Barry making a play to get the book, and that's when he gets fired in 89 thing. How much of that is Dusty wanting to keep an eye on things back in WCW? <clears throat> I'm sure that, that there was talk, that Dusty and Barry was talking. But I think, and, and here's the thing, I, I think her probably knew that too. And her wanted to make sure he had d nobody that was booking that was a Dusty ally, though Kevin Sullivan's booking, you know? So, I mean, he, he's close to Dusty too. I don't know. But, yeah. So here's our, here's our stories here. Steve has it later than Dave does because of how, you know, press time hit, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, so here we go. Oli's gone. Dusty's uh, being put in. And um, I mean, the tampering stuff ends up being kind of moot because Dusty starts in the office before he finishes up in Titan. Yeah. And no one seems to care. Oh, and, um, you know, this is on our week. The TV taping that took, that took place right after our week when they announced that Oli was removed as the booker. Mm. That there was a, a applause from the talent. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he can he has the big TV rating on it on the Clash to his credit, but other than that, not a good run. Because the thing he did was he built up a did build up intrigue for the Black Scorpion, and then the execution was complete shit. Because he had no, there was no idea what to do. Yeah. And then you have a uh, Flair Luger being a, a TV match, and that 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 popped the big, that popped the rating. Flair challenging Luger for the first time too. Yeah, that popped a big rating. So, yeah, it's it's. Plus, he's trying to load them up with like cheap green wrestlers, and you know, and. You know, veterans who just aren't there anymore, basically. Yeah. It's weird promotion. And he but started it, doing racism angles again, and just none of it was good. <clears throat> well, let's move on. We talked about this on other shows a lot anyway, so let's move on. Because speaking about his absence from nearly lineup for Starcade, Ric Flair. Dave's assuming that angle airs this Saturday on TBS for Channing Long as Flair's chauffeur for a day, at least to a Flair injury which leads to win the Manander single for Revenge of Starcade. Flair not being on the car combined with Sting, and Flair already announced the main event on some cards in late December through mid-January, where he leads Flair to be a prime candidate to be the Black Scorpion, based total evidence out there without any inside info. Sure. Once Oli's gone, I mean, it's time to end the Black Scorpion. So, it's Rick was, well, have Rick Flair be the guy. Makes no sense, but we're killing the dang, we're killing it. We're killing the angle. You know? We're going to do Sting and Flair anyway, so we might as well get to it like this. There's no one they could have realistically had access to that would have been a difference maker. 
But if you're trying to make something that would have been a satisfying storyline payoff, the only person you really could have tried to bring in for it would be Eddie Gilbert, right? Which he wasn't going to do it. He had just lied to them about his career-ending injury to get his release, so... Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only... Somebody that would have been a good choice, although it wouldn't have worked in how they do things and did things in, that could have been winning you so hard. Why? Well, he had experience working under a mask. He hasn't been a heel they before, could... though. Well, we saw how that worked out when he did turn heel, didn't we? We uh, did, but that's a different character and storyline context. He could say that he could say that Sting, even though it's not true, but it's wrestling. He could say that Sting stole his move from Brett. Brett's not There's using that he, move yet. He was he, he was not using a starshooter yet. Ninety one. Nope, not till he and Jim split. Mm, okay, I thought he might have been using it in ninety one. Yeah, but Ronnie Garvin was still using it in ninety. So yeah, too close. I don't know. It could have been something. Something better than what they did, but they did what they did. So This group has the right to use the NWA name once again. Still talk is they'll phase out the name at the end of the year, however, which they did. I mean, they do literally, like, right after our week. December is yes. when they change the logos on everything to WCW. Yep. The 28% cutback uh, across the board because the entire torn organization planning for the current recession is just for travel and business expenses. But not for salaries, so there is apparently no pressure on the group to cut down salaries for the wrestlers and office personnel. By the way, does the name change mean that the name of the Saturday show was World Championship Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling? Uh, <laughs> uh, they never called it that, of course, but I guess you could say that would be a technical name. Okay, great. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It took them a year and a half to call it WCW Saturday Night, these geniuses. <laughs> well, I mean, World Championship Wrestling was the brand name since 1982, late 82, so. I know. Nasty Boys gave notice to Dead to Clash, which is why they ran away from the Steiners twice. They believe they finished on December 9th, but it's not exactly sure of the date. They had to WF the ultimate worker program with the Legion of Doom. Jim Hurd offered them each three-year guarantee contracts for $156,000 per year, and they turned it down. It's funny. The guys who have unique charisma and are better workers than they were a year ago, but truthfully, anyone working on the Steiners, if Steiners let them have a, a match going to look like great workers. Dave's not sure the Nassies would have been worth anywhere near that kind of money or been able to stay hot for three years. Well, they're about to work, have a long run here, Dave, in, WF, in WCW. It's just the beginning. But it is funny, though, that they have been languishing on indie scene for years. They show up in in the NWA have the, have a great match with the Steiners handling havoc, and then get offered one hundred fifty six thousand dollars a year guarantee and turn it down. They must have been promised the tag titles and believed it, which seems like it was the right thing to believe. It was the right move. They made the right move on WWF. Absolutely, absolutely, they did. Well, also, they don't become friends with Hogan if they don't go to the WWF. Well, there's that. I mean, it's just it's just the right move, you know. No matter what. Yeah. Now, I forget. Do you do you know the reason that Hogan warmed up to them so much? Because uh, they were funny guys, I guess. I sort know. of. Specifically, they reminded him of Adrian Adonis. Yeah, I can get that. Yeah, I see that. All right. Now, regarding the Steiners earlier, we talked about uh, Steve Beverly reported Matt Watch. Dollar Mouse never confirmed, but Inside Reports had the Steiners been offered a two-year deal 
to stay with NWA and afforded three hundred thousand dollars each with an option for an increase in the third year. So that's what it was. I wasn't quite right, but close. So three hundred grand a year and a two year deal. We're going to go to Torch now. Renew negotiations have begun between current AWA champion Larry Zbysko and WCW. Larry's one of the best interviews in the business right now. And his delivery, creativity, and profoundness will allow him to stay in this sport for many years to come, whether as a wrestler or a manager. Somebody loves them some Larry, don't they, Bix? I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Is it profoundness or profundity? Uh, profoundness of her, you know, so I guess profoundness. And uh, initially, it only makes it to pro, I think, when Lance Russell does the teaser for him coming in. He was going to come in as champion. Mm-hmm. But they end up not doing that, and he vacates the title on the local AWA TV. Yeah. All right, uh, back to uh, Matt Watch. Bobby Eaton's reportedly been offered a nice deal between WCW singles. It's one he may not – one, and it may be one he cannot refuse. I mean, the whole idea in the first place was that Jim and Stan told him to stay because he has a family. Yeah. So it's he made the right. He made the right decision. Yes. Don Glass is no longer booking the arena dates and will be replaced by someone from within the TBS organization. Glass will stay with the company as an event coordinator. So wait, is the person he's being replaced by someone who has experience with any kind of live event promotion? Probably not. WCW, <laughs> everybody. You exactly. You see why they. You see why they did shit and house shows for so many years. I mean, the best one is that allegedly that Glass was hired because he was Ed Cohn's assistant in WWF, only for them to learn that he was not like his assistant assistant. He was his literal like personal assistant. It's Gopher. Yeah. It's so flunky. It's Do Boy. Yes. January 30th, 1991, Clash. moved from Kemper Arena in Kansas City to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, which is a smart move. <laughs> I'll say. No way they could have made a 17,000 seat building look good for a TV special, even with Pat in the house. So let's go. All right. So that Clash was originally in Kansas City, moved to Camp Lejeune, moved to CNN Center, and then moved to Gainesville. All in one month. Well, two months. Wow. It would be nice if they had a real live event department. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The juicer apparently finished up on January the 3rd, but that could change depending upon what the new booker decides. The big juicer, J.W. Storm, is already history. Well, we know all that is. So there's yeah, that. I mean, they should have never hired Art Bar in the first place. What a show we've had. What a, show, what a second half of the show we've had, huh? Chris Champion, Ken Wayne, <laughs> the new kids, Bob, Grizzly Smith, Smith <laughs> Rick McCoy. <laughs> our bar oh my god uh. <laughs> oh my goodness KWF Junior Heavyweight Champion <laughs> what a, what a <laughs> second half of the show the stun gun that didn't work because of the assassin's <laughs> outfit yes oh my god um hey latest word is from, uh, from Taurus latest word is Owen Hart will not be coming after all well, <laughs> eventually he does. All right. So, uh, might return as valet, Mrs. Alexandra York, will more television and the Atlanta shows and won't go on the road. 
Rotunda was given notice that his contract won't be renewed when it expires. Talk is if Michael Wall Street thing gets over, they'll re-sign Rotunda. But if not, they'll let him stay, but not on any guarantee. Well, they meet him halfway by not re-signing him. He goes to WWF, and they just graft the gimmick onto the guy he was feuding with. <laughs> he sure did. All right, so let's go to Michael Wall Street. This is like the this is the first like vignette on WCW on the Saturday Night Show because he had already appeared on the Clash. So let's go to Michael Wall Street handling business in the boardroom. Great. About to show you, I think we'll we'll answer a lot of questions on what has happened to Mark Rotunda. Jim, this I really want to see, and I think the fans do also. Let's take a look at the video. How many times do I have to tell you people? Can't you get it? The meeting is almost over. Please be very quiet when you go in. We have a job to do here, and if you can't do the job, I'll find somebody that will. Now, is there any other questions? Yes, sir. We still have two million dollars in the bank in Europe. What do you want us to do about that? No. No, wait, who is that? What do you that? think I want he you to do with it? Do the right thing. Let it roll over. Hey, hey. Is there anything else? Bro, so I don't think it is. Uh, yeah, Mr. Wall Street. Uh, uh, Mr. Finkel called from New York. He wants us to give some money to a children's charity there. Listen, people. I am not interested in giving my money to some <laughs> snotty-nosed brats. And let me inform you about something else around here. If you like the salaries, your overpaid salaries, I might add, that you're earning around here, you better start doing a better job. Now this meeting's over. Get out of here. Why is it Finkel? Mr. Street, I have Mr. Harvey on your private line. You'll have to wait a minute. Yeah, Harvey. Good, good. I like that. This is what you do, Harvey. Buy it 48 and a quarter. When it hits 60, dump it in their lap. That would be in the theme of the second listen, half of Harvey, the show. No mistakes. <laughs> One mistake and you'll be out bending pretzels on 48th Street. Do you understand me? Very good. Ms. York, yes. please take notes. Recently, I have inherited a large sum of money. With this money, I have built a financial empire with the motto, greed is good. As you can see, Mike Rotunda was a great wrestler, a great champion. But now, you're looking at the new Michael Wall Street. With the help and assistance of Ms. York, I am telling you people, I will become the next world heavyweight champion. That is our goal. Ms. York? And this, this is our most ambitious project, right, Ms. York? Absolutely. I like how you can tell from the audio that they shot this separately in a different room. Yes. With the because... money you've invested in technology and information, we have at our disposal a program for each and every WCW wrestler that will enable Mr. Wall Street to achieve victory every time he steps into the ring. Oh, Miss Alexandra York sure is twangy. <laughs> well, she's a Southern Belle, Bex. Not in canon, is she? <laughs> for instance, give me an opponent's name. Let's say Lex Luger. Be just a minute. Computer, enhance. <laughs> She's typing at multiple keyboards. <laughs> Got a printout. It's perfect, Ms. York. Did you expect anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Wall Street. With my knowledge of computers, your ability in the ring, I see no way we can lose. And you can take that to the bank. <laughs> Burrow's knees was playing the whole time. We were watching them like a Wall Street video. Great formatting of this TV show, huh? <laughs> oh my god, that's WCW, just, everybody. Yeah, that's very WCW. <laughs> um, I enjoyed Michael Wall Street. I thought he was gonna. I thought it was gonna do well. It, it, the whole idea, I think, is just that with his hair slicked back, he looks kind of like Gordon Gecko, right? But he, but he does great. In my opinion, it being that gimmick. I mean, Captain Mike and the Varsity Club, he was really good at at the beginning when he was cutting loose. It's, he's cutting loose. He appears you know, to be having he, some degree of fun, yes. Well, he's playing, he's playing a character. Captain Mike originally was a character, you know? Also, funny, <laughs> funny how he's getting this refreshed push as a heel when his best friend and brother, brother-in-law takes over the book secretly. Shocking, isn't it? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's also shocking that he doesn't resign. But, hey, he, he made a great career, career move on that far, too. But this gimmick probably also got him the WWF deal. It did. Absolutely it did. Because I don't think we get Erwin R. Scheister for him. No. If not for Michael Wall Street. No. Not at all. So, yeah, I like Michael Wall Street. Yes. And then right. he leaves and they just give it to Terry Taylor. Who doesn't do as good of a job. Because basically, I mean, you look at the dynamic here. Michael Wall Street is the boss. Terry Taylor was never the boss. Alexander York was the boss of the York Foundation. Yeah. Which also I just realized then. <laughs> the plan of the of the boss in Global being Medusa or Jeannie Clark or whoever. Medusa? The idea that she, did I say Medusa? He did. <laughs> Is that what Vince Russo calls her? Yes. <laughs> Medusa and Tyner. That's, that's, your, that's your Long Island coming out of you, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> um Alexander York was already the boss, so how is it so shocking that uh Yeah no. one of them would be the yeah. boss? I don't know. Scott Steiner suffered injured his ankle severely on Thanksgiving night in the Omni. Get X rays on Monday to find out if it's just a bit a bad sprain or a brain, but he may be action for out of action for a while. Well he wasn't. Okay. I have a he question. I don't think you could answer this. Maybe one of the wrestlers that's listening could, although I feel like less and less wrestlers wear traditional wrestling boots these days. If you have regular wrestling boots, what what happens that would cause you to sprain an, or break an ankle? Because isn't one of the whole points of wrestling boots that they're so supportive and so tight up high that it's very hard to hurt your ankle? Maybe uh, a wrestler fell on it or something. Hmm. I mean, anything could happen. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be rolling it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Gordon Soldi was given the game ball from last Sunday's Kansas City Chiefs game as Steve DeBerg, who was friends with Soli, got the ball. Well, that's nice. See, all right, so let me see who they – and that was the big Steve DeBerg year, too, in Kansas City. He, I mean, that's when he had a comeback. He, he, he broke his finger that year, had pins in it, 
<laughs> and still played. And still played. Wow. Uh, that would have been either the, they beat the Chargers. Oh, they would have won. So they, they wouldn't beat the Raiders. So that would have been the Raiders, which uh, that was a great win. Let me see if I find the, that picture of Steve DeBerg. I want you to see this. <laughs> what? Because it was nasty. Oh, like an X-ray of his hand, or no? And he did it. He, he did an interview with NFL Films showing the finger. Um, I don't want to see. It. You know what? No, I don't want to see this. Okay, well, was, uh, here's here's a picture of him playing with the finger, though. So I'll send you that that picture where you can see what he looked like because he is taped. All right, it's taped up. So let me share that in chat. Oh, and from the uh, Miami Herald. Look at that. Okay, one sec. <laughs> That's what he had to use to play with to play with that finger. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, from eighteen-year-old uh, Alex Marvez's uh, Miami Herald column. It mentions that uh, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Steve Berg gave his buddy, NWA announcer Gordon Soley, his game ball after the Chiefs' 27-10 victory last Sunday over San Diego. DeBerg threw three touchdown passes. Okay. Um, the connection with Gordon Soley and Steve DeBerg. Steve DeBerg played quarterback for Tampa Bay in the mid-'80s mm -hmm. for the Bucks. So there's your connection. Assistant, and here's more about Ron West. Assistant Booker Ron West suffered a mild heart attack on Wednesday, the day after the clash. West was still hospitalized as a Monday. The good news is that there can be any good news from a heart attack is that there was no scarring of the heart tissue, so it wasn't a major attack. All right, well, let's go to the house show, shall we? Uh-oh. The River 22nd afternoon show in Columbus, Georgia. This is Thanksgiving afternoon. Drew 500 fans. The Juicer and Barry Horowitz. Lots of fans were chanting rapist at the Juicer. Well, because the local newspaper reported on the story that Steve Beverly's column that he had his weekly column in the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. Uh huh. Yes, which was basically, you know, stuff you would see in Matt Watch, but in newspaper form. Is this online anywhere? Yes. Well, I mean, it's, it's it was in the newspapers when it used to be around. So yeah. Oh, it's on newspapers.com. Okay. It is. I mean, the Ledger Inquirer is. is, I mean. Yeah. It is, yes. I forgot that was there. Yeah, yeah it's finally on newspapers.com, so yeah. It used to be on Genealogy Bank, but now it's at home on newspapers.com. They're meant to make a newspaper, so. Which, by the way. Georgia, thank God. I am very happy with the. Uh, the new uh, newspapers.com interface. I feel like it's a lot more usable and speedy and less er well, less just, prone to issues than the old one was. Well, just well, I still have issues, but just the fact that they have making a Columbus Sun there is uh, made me very very happy. Well, here's what Steve wrote in his column. Uh, scrolled away from a second. Oh no! This uh, yes, it was in, on the twenty third. He wrote then the WA has dismissed the juicer after reports surface of a sexual abuse conviction. Or well, the show was the day before. Film, okay, so it would be the week before. Well, which, it would have been. It may not have been the week before. No, it is the week it, before because that's the only other hit for Steve Beverly and the juicer. Okay, what did it say? I'm clicking on it now. Uh, Matt watching the juicer art yes, bar is under fire within. The NWA, uh, anonymous envelopes with columns enclosed from Oregon newspapers were sent to all seven Atlanta TV stations. 
bars on probation, blah, 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 blah. Um, one column directed at NWA owner Ted Turner had a footnote asking, how would Jane Fonda feel about this? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the hooks. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you really, I mean, like, we need to remind everyone, not only was he convicted, he admitted it. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's no gray here. There's no allegedly. <laughs> he admitted it. And despite how some people misremembered or misheard it, this was not this was not a statutory charge or whatever. This was that yeah. he forced himself yeah. on a woman. Yes. Brian Pillman pinned the Iron Sheik. The Master Blasters pinned Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. Michael Wall Street beat Terry Taylor. Of course. Steiner's over Nasty Boys in the Cage. Doom over Flair and Arn Anderson with Butch pinned Arn. Tommy and Richard came more than beat Michael Hayes, Bobby Eaton, and Buddy Landell. That's a team. And then Sting over Sid Vicious. Retained the world title. Then we go the, that night, the Omni, which drew 6,500. Well, that's actually good, all things considered. It's Thanksgiving night, the Omni. Yeah, I mean, that's supposed to be the hot night. Uh, Juicer over Horowitz. Pillman and Zinko, the Master Blasters. JYD over Moondog Rex. Rich Morton and Gante with the Freebirds and Bobby Eaton. So, garbage here. Lex Luger over Big Cat, Curtis Hughes. Steiners over Nasty in the Cage. Doom over Flair and Arn elimination match. As Arn and Butch were both counted out. Flair did the job of Ron Simmons in this match. How about that? And Sting over Sid. Baltimore. Not good. November 24th. 2,800 fans. Yeah. As Norman, Trucker Norman, beat Buddy Landell. Tim Horner over Doug Superior. Terry Taylor over Motor City Madman. J.Y.D. over Iron Sheik. Morton Richie Degante over the Freebirds and Moondog Rex. Luger over Big Cat. Madman attacks him every night after the win. Steiner over Jerry Sags in a cage. Because Scott got hurt. And Doom over Flair and Arn in the cage when Butch Pin Flair in a bloody excellent match. Doug Superior. Oh, go ahead. No, when it says bloody excellent, it means it's bloody and it's excellent. Not bloody excellent. No. <laughs> Uh, I believe Doug Superior is Neil Superior's brother. Neil's... Yes. Is it so? That would be Doug Karakoff, then. I would think would be the real name. Roanoke on the twenty fifth saw Norman over Landell, Wall Street over Brett Armstrong, Pillman over Wild Bill Irwin, Southern Boys now they got to over the State Patrol and Bobby Eaton, Rich Sun over Brian Knobs in the cage, just thing over Sid. Sand Crew drew just under nine hundred in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on November twenty fourth. DC Army on the 23rd saw, uh, from 1100, saw Terry Taylor, Buddy Landell, Norman over the Golden Eagle. Should be Iron Lion Eagle, I guess. I don't know. No appeal. So it's the, wherever the Golden Eagle was. Big Cat over Tim Horner when the refs thought the match. Same finish as the Clash. Morton and Richard Degonto, the Freebirds, Moondog Rex. JYD over the Mercy Man Man. Luke over Iron Sheik. Doom over Flair and Arn in the Cage. Um, <laughs> from Googling, looks like Doug Superior is not a legit brother. He broke in with Neil Superior at the Wild Samoan School, which I learned from the Wikipedia page that was very obviously created by Doug Superior. And Sheiky's uh, in all these house show bookings, but he's not on TV. Well, they got it. they're paying him, so. That's what I'm saying, but still, it's funny. Greensboro calls him on the 25th to a record crowd of 700 fans. The smallest crowd ever for wrestling the Coliseum. Maybe even worse, because it was done on traditionally the best weekend year after year for wrestling in the, in the city's history. 
Mr. Warner Barry Horowitz, one star. Master Blasters over the Zinc and Allen Iron Eagle, half a star. Terry Taylor over the big, uh, Motor, City, Motor City Man Man, half a star. JYD over Sheik, dud. Richard Morton with the Freebirds, two stars. Only decent match on the card. Luger over the Big Cat when Man Man did a post-match run-in, one star. And in the cage, Ron Simmons pinned Ric Flair. Butch and Arm both missed the show. One was ill and the other may have been as well, one star. Oof. Not only are you draw 700 fans, you put on this type of subpar show. And this has got to be Bruce and John Hitchcock doing these yeah. star ratings. But also, yeah, Thanksgiving weekend in Greensboro. Oof. Not good. No. All right. <clears throat> Let's go to TV, shall we? The nearest 24 episode of World Championship Wrestling saw a Black Scorpion Sting segment take place. So let's go to that, shall we? Yes, we shall. Now, to an interview with the World Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Champion Sting. Oh. And then from the challenge uh, from the Black Scorpion. Bear in mind, this match, which will take place December 16th on exclusive pay-per-view, will pit the World Heavyweight Championship against the mask of the Black Scorpion, all in a steel cage. Let's listen to these interviews. It's amusing to watch you sting, to see your face contorted. I know that your mind has been terribly confused, but it's really so surprising to think that I would have a referee do my bidding. Oh, not to get rid of you, just to harass you. I will get rid of you at Stargate on December 16th in St. Louis. Because Starcade in St. Louis, baby, I get to find out who the Black Scorpion is, or he walks out the new champ. I think I'm going to find out what's under that hood. Woo! Well, the outcome he will be wired. found out, and that will be, of course, on December 16th in St. Louis at Starcade, exclusively on pay-per-view. May I suggest, if you want to see this momentous decision between these two great gladiators, that you contact your local cable TV station, make your reservations early. Ladies your and gentlemen, TV station, fix. your cable TV station. Okay, sure. I don't think that's the <laughs> right words, but so yeah, Oli seems less like... enthused about his uh, voiceovers. Well, I, won- I wonder why. So anyway, Vince. There, there. Fuck you and fuck your wife, too. <laughs> Ironically, the TV ratings were strong, and only Anderson's last weekend is the Booker. Thanksgiving weekend saw Power Hour featuring Ric Flair against Buddy Landell, the 1.6 rating. World Change of Wrestling, Ric Flair versus Ron Simmons at a 3.2, its best rating since last spring. And Power Hour, another Power Hour, Terry Taylor and Anderson did it, I guess that's the main event, supposed to be, did a 3.1, best in seven months as well. Wait, so was Flair cut off two-thirds of the way into the gauntlet? Uh, don't sound right. Because that was running the gauntlet, wasn't it? Um, yeah. For Flair. Maybe something's wrong here in the in the thing here. Because it's Power Hour twice. Well, that, yes, but, um, but there was a Flair gauntlet, right? I believe that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wikipedia says the only wrestlers who successfully ran the gauntlet were the, were each of the Steiners. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yes. 
pro wrestling history. I'm checking real quick. Because, uh, okay, they don't have all of them either. They don't. They only have some from September. Uh, and they don't have the Rick Steiner one. So, yeah. But I'm pretty sure when I've... I'm pretty sure on the commentary for Flair Landell, they talk about it being part of running the gauntlet. Which, hey, look. I'm guessing that saying Ric Flair may be wrestling on all three TBS shows this weekend helped pop the ratings. Mm-hmm. A TV taping in Dothan, Alabama on the River 28th saw Sting, Lester, Riffler, and the Steiners, all whom were advertised, fail to appear. Oof. Since Arn had given them, since Ole had given them all the night off. Didn't sit well with the paying customers, as you can imagine. Ah. Yikes. <laughs> How do you like the modernized, the modernized Ric Flair interest music? As ZZ tops off in the 70s and the Von Erich uses interest music for years. So wait, the Barry Windham Lagrange ripoff started as Flair's new music? It was the Horseman's music, yes. Was the Lagrange ripoff? Lagrange. Look, you know what I mean. <laughs> Lagrange. You are uh, that's your northerness. It's Lagrange. Doesn't it sound like Lagrange in the song though? No. Step outside Lagrange. Oh, okay, you're right. Outside. You're right. Um <laughs> And there's Lagrange, Georgia, which I've been to many times in my life. So Is that theme online anywhere? The Barry Wyndham Lagrange theme? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, Is it this one? Let's see. Oh, yeah. I just found it. I know that's not it. That's the preview. That's not it. Hold on. There you go. Is this Rockstar Blues? Which one is this? Copy link. Yeah, I don't remember this being a Horseman or Flayer theme. Yeah, so it was a horseman name. I love this name. Yeah. Very obvious what it's ripping off. Oh, God. Yeah. Extremely yes. obvious. To the point where they should have got sued. Yes. Rock, well, <laughs> it's a production. It's from a production library, uh, Guitar I World. Know. It's Rockstar Blues by Slim Pezin. Now, yeah, it's very, very obviously ripped off. Curiously, the unreleased Universal Wrestling Corporation video game has a Lagrange ripoff for Barry Wyndham. Lagrange, Lagrange, goddamn it! <laughs> That's it. But that game was before all this and never came out. Well, they had in their mind, I guess. It's right. weird, though. Yeah. All right. Let's continue. Let's get close to the end here. Matt Watch asked Jim Hurd if WCW might reconsider moving Russell War 91 from Phoenix in wake of the Martin Luther King holiday controversy. And Hurd said, I'm not touching that one. I don't think sports and politics ought to mix. This is – wait. So was Martin Luther King Day first – ratified around this time and this was when Arizona was first like no we're not doing that oh Martin Luther King was done in the 80s 
So what? They what had, what's they had the, had so did they get they, rid of it? They were no. They never. They never did it as a state thing. See, back then it was states. Oh, so it was state it was by state. state. So when did it become federal? Oh. I don't know, but I, they didn't. Re- they refused to recognize it. Lost the Super Bowl because of it. The Super Bowl was supposed to go there, and the reason why it's topical. The Super Bowl was supposed to go there in January '92. They lost it. Ended up going to uh, Minneapolis. Okay, so the, here's which, what the which oh, is one of those, which is one of those deals because this is the. I mean, they did not want Super Bowl in cold weather cities. So the fact that it was in Minneapolis. Means that was a last minute deal and they were available, and that's why they decided that let's take it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that was a big, I mean, because this is the whole time where Public Enemy had their song out, and yeah, 91, this is when all this is going down. So, okay, the Wikipedia summary says um, it was ratified by Reagan in 83, and there have been pushes for it since. King's assassination in 68. It was first observed in 86. At first, some states resisted observing the holiday as such. Giving it alternative names or combining it with other holidays is officially observed in all 50 states for the first time in 2000. Okay, so it was always a federal holiday once it started being observed, but not every state recognized it, so they would just call it something else? It wasn't ever like that in Georgia. It was always one of those game day. Okay, so here's what – it's a state-level passage. Um, not every U.S. state chose to observe the holiday at the state level until 91 when New Hampshire created Civil Rights Day and abolished April's fast day. Uh, 99, New Hampshire became the last state to name a holiday after King, which they first celebrated in January 2000. First nationwide celebration. Okay, so so Arizona came before New Hampshire, I guess? Oh no, it was it was two thousand for them too. Or or no, that's South Carolina. Uh Okay, yeah, this is weird and confusing. It's, uh, but isn't it something though that isn't it something that southern states were more in you know, along the line of it at the beginning than the non southern states? Well, as we all know, Chris, northern racism is more about being passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Northern and western, yeah. And we close with this. How is this something different? In Fort Lauderdale, cable company ran an ad on Thanksgiving Day for Survivor Series, saying Thanksgiving Day parades aren't the only places you'll see large bodies flying through the air. They talk about the WS show. In the end, it was a wrestler flying through the air. It was Brian Pillman flying on Lex Luger, which Dave sure threw up both groups to no end. <laughs> Vocal cable company, everybody? <laughs> It's advertisement that WS show is showing Brian Pillman and Les Luger. WCW can't win for losing, can they? I, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> they can't get publicity when they need it in the right way. They get it in the wrong way. Amazing. Fort Lauderdale. Isn't he running a show on IWTV right now in front of like <laughs> half a dozen people? <laughs> I know it's that big. All right. Uh, that's it for this week. Next week on Between the Sheets. Oh, boy. This is the show that kind of makes up the ground here. As we have a show that covers an 11-day week. Okay. As we go back to 1989. We rewind back a year. World Wrestling Federation has two big TV tapings during our week. Where in Nashville, one taping, they tape No Holes Bar the Match. 
And the next line, Huntsville, they changed the world tag titles in an odd way. So we'll have that, among other WF news. We have um, all kinds of stuff going on. We have a wedding in Portland to talk about. Oh, is that online? Um, I didn't see it. So if it is, I didn't see it. We have uh, lots of news on startups to talk about. Things that's coming that, that could be coming and, and it's not coming. AWA news of ESPN. We got news on uh, Jerry Jarrett. What the hell is going to go on in Memphis? We have news on what the hell's going on with David Brown. David Brown. David Woods is uh, TV slots. We have an uh, update on Randall Brown. That's where I got the thing from Georgia from a story that you may remember. We, we, we talked about a long time ago. Tully Blanchard update. His career is going in a different direction. We got a wild story of Paulie Dangerously in ICW. We got uh, some interesting names working in Mexico. The end of Stampede Wrestling. We'll talk about that. And in NWA, Starcade 89. And all kinds of other stuff. And Steve Beverly's there live and gives a live report. And Dave Meltzer has all kinds of other stuff, including his thoughts on uh, the future of Ric Flair as champion, book, or whatever, and all kinds of great NWA stuff on this show. Well, wait, wait, wait. Actually, since it's 89, I think Dave's there too, right? No. Oh, he's not for that one. Okay. Mm-mm, no. So, a show like this, we need to give it proper context. So, we have two guests. Uh-oh. Next week up Between the Sheets. And for those of you that remember last year, it's Christmas time again, as we'll be joined next week on Between the Sheets by both Bo James and Robert O'Connor. Together again, you reunited, and it feels so good, next week on Between the Sheets. I think I'm going to need to make sure everyone signs a whole harmless ar- uh, agreement that releases <laughs> me from uh, any responsibility for this show. <laughs> So yes, so we got we got Robert O'Connor for the end of Stampede Wrestling, and we got Bo James talking with the Eddie Gilbert, Paul D. David Wood stuff, the so, consortium, yes, <laughs> the consortium, yes, yes, so, which we've yeah. never had Bo on for before. I don't think have we? No, no. Even though we've talked about it a bit, so that should be interesting. Yes, yeah, should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. Merry Christmas to us from you. All right. Vic, thank you as always for uh, being here in the rock of the show. This is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special edition number 74. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back yet again to 1997 as we're in part two of our three-part series of 25 Years of Montreal. And, uh, yeah, this should be quite the show. And I think this one also just covers two weeks again, right? <laughs> uh, I'm looking here. I think it does. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have so to play it by year. The last two weeks of November. <laughs> yeah, how we divide this up, and then uh, part three is basically through the rest of the year, and then the Wrestling with Shadows issue. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you know, where we left off at was um, Survivor Series, you know, and uh, all that went on there. Well, and uh, and Brett's post-Montreal column in the Calgary Sun, I believe, was what we ended on. Well, now let's go to the Observer. When you look up the term bait and switch in your dictionary, there should be a synonym to it. World Wrestling Federation. In the decision to forfeit potential pay-per-view money, the biggest revenue stream in the company, in favor of television ratings, and probably short-term at that, November 24th Live Raw from Fayetteville, North Carolina, was built around Bret Hart. The same Bret Hart who wasn't there, and based on his own words, will never be there again. Nevertheless, Bezeme, notwithstanding, the WF has drawn two of his strongest ratings of the year, basically due to the rest of the company has now tried to label as not being worth what they were paying him in the wake of a double-cross finish of Survivor Series. There can be little doubt, based on the quarter hours and logic itself, that the first week's rating came from a combination of curiosity over the finish the night before and a gift from WCW in making the Bret Hart announcement before Raw started, even though WCW drew a better rating in the process. They also created curiosity as what was going to be said on the WS show later that night. Based on quarter hours, there's no question the strength of the November 17th Raw rating was based on curiosity regarding the Vincent Man interview about Bret Hart. And he knew that the plan was originally done to put closure to the Bret Hart issue. Of course, it only fueled the fire among some, but more importantly, it became obvious that after trying a million hotshot ideas and failing almost every time, that WF has finally found something that could move the ratings. All right, refresh my memory. Is Nitro and Raw at the same time? Are they going head to head both hours at this time period? He just said they're not. Did he? I can't remember. What it... He just uh, said, oh, yeah, because yeah. The, yeah. the bread announcement was before when was the Was the Vince announcement the first hour or second hour? The the, the sit-down? I don't remember. Because I'm curious if it went up head-to-head against Nitro. Want me to pull up the torch? I'm, pull, I'm going there now. Yeah, I'm getting there. Because if that's the case, I would have d- definitely held off on uh, doing anything until that happened. Or it to go concurrent. All right, so Vince, the Vince quarter hour. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, it was in two parts. The first part played in, in the quarter hour number two. Head to head against Nitro. Okay. Part two aired in quarter hour number seven, which would be the last quarter, the second last quarter of the show. Interesting. So I would have definitely, you know, programmed against that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, WCW definitely gave them a, you know, a layup there. And they took advantage of it. 
as only WCW could. It's still it's it's still amazing how they how they totally botched this whole thing from beginning to end. It is amazing. A, a big slam dunk. Mm. One of the biggest slam dunks you could ever have. And just the way you, you fuck it up. It's just amazing to me. Alright. So for the November twenty fourth for all newspapers around the country, including USA Today, they listen the main event on that show is being Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. That was the hook. To make sure when the show started, people didn't wise up to the hook. They opened the show with Michaels in an interview claiming he had a secret conversation with Brett, unbeknownst to everyone, including Vince McMahon, and using the term as God is my witness, even using terms like internet and underground dirt sheet, and doing an interview out of character to make people believe he was shooting and not working in a new blurred environment that he was working under. He said Brett was going to be there, and a white limo was shown several times for the man of the hour with, with announcers Jim Ross and Jim Cornette trying for all their work to sell the idea that it was Brett in the limo. Of course, you all know the rest of the story. Instead of Brett, they dressed up a mini in a leather jacket and sunglasses, called him Hart, had Michael swim in sharpshooter, and only stuck the mic in his face when the mini said that he submitted, Michael's was the icon, the showstopper, put a WCW sign on his butt, kicked him in the butt out of the ring, and said, go there with the rest of the garbage. Then WF could hide behind the idea that it wasn't the company doing a bait and switch, but Michael's the heel who was lying to the fans, which is what a heel should do. Granted, the humiliating a big star with a skit like that is a standard wrestling gag, but in the past, it's always been done to set up a big grudge match. Usually when it's done, otherwise, it's very talent that has left, such as Billionaire Ted skits. In 96, it's backfired in the face of promotion doing so. No doubt, in this entire, if this entire Brett, Vince, Sean thing had been an angle, it was the best woman man's done in years. There would be tons of money to be made when the Brett, Sean rematches were to take place. Only one problem. They're on the rematches. The match they need to hype people for seeing is Sean versus Ken Shamrock. And how do you think on that television show result in that feeling in your, in your gut? You can't wait to see Sean, uh, Ken beat Sean. No, you want to see a match that the company can't deliver. In this case, the skip was done with the idea of humiliating someone who has signed with the opposition. But if anything, it backfired, only making Brett even more the focal point in WF than when he actually held the title. Whatever the company was theoretically trying to accomplish by doing a double cross in regard to the so-called protection of the company has been made far worse. The focal point of the company, a bigger deal to the company when he held the belt itself, and now a bigger deal than the belt itself, is about the debut on their rival television show. How much time did Michael spend during the show talking about Ken Shamrock, his opponent next pay-per-view? The revenue stream where big money is generated. How much time did the announcer spend hyping that? And other matches on the next pay-per-view? Let's face it. Aside from Slaughter vs. Triple H and Butterbean vs. Mark Merrow, can you name a match on that pay-per-view based on watching a television show? How much time was trying to, spent trying to humiliate Bret Hart? Rit Rude, because he left the company, and actually the skit where Harvey Whippleman playing Rit Rude was hilarious had they dropped it at that point rather than try to run the same gag twice and not being funny and really pathetic the second time. And Jim Neidhart, because of fear he's going to leave the company, because there's another way where WF thought he could get under Bret Hart's skin. The show itself is weird enough. I watched in the last years of the AWA, but it was much super production values, where the emphasis is on burying the wrestlers who had left the company rather than building up what was left. Barrels only made the wrestlers bigger in the promotion itself like it was going down in those days. It looks no different from the outside today. The legitimate bitterness the company appears to have towards Brett, which delivered another strong rating, appears to be taken away from his job promoting wrestling. And the weirdness of the attempts at other symbolism during the show. In particular, Jeff Jarrett complained about Vince. Now filling his contract to the letter trying to create the idea to the fans of people who take Brett's side because of the valid point about not living up to contracts by WF are nothing but whining crybabies. You know, you read this, and then, you know, we have what happens in the December pay review, and where WF is heading, 
Boy, I tell you, it, it really cements the case of how important Mike Tyson was to that company being what it would become. This sounds like a dying company. Absolutely. Mike Tyson coming in that company saved their saved them. This sounds like 2000 WCW. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike Tyson saved that company. It's just amazing. Think about that. I mean, Austin, being Austin is definitely a part of it. But, I mean, if there's no Mike Tyson to play off of Austin, then you don't have it. Austin's basically Jeff Jarrett in 2000 WCW. I don't know if I'd say that, but I well, get what you're trying to say, I think. <clears throat> he's, he's, I mean, he's the top guy in a company that's dying. I mean, this is ridiculous. And I totally forgot about all this. I mean, I remember the, the mini Brett thing. But it, it, advertising Brett versus Sean in the in national newspapers? I didn't remember that or that the mini Neidhart, Whippleman is rude, and the Jarrett thing were all on the same show. All on the same show. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is so petty. So very petty. And so anti-doing business. Mm-hmm. I mean, good lord. If they didn't put yeah. the Brett Sean thing in, US, in USA Today and the other TV listings, you can get away with the it's the heel who promised this thing to a point. But now when you put it in the log lines in the newspapers... And the thing is, you know, and, and, and people want to come at me or say, well, Vin, Vince turning heel is the cat, you know, the big cows. Mike Tyson's the most important part of that. Mm-hmm. Vince is not a heel, really, until the Tyson thing. He is, but he isn't. You know, there's no catalyst for him in Austin. Well, the rock, the rock thing first. Well, kind of. But uh, but Tyson's the real catalyst. You ruined it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just sticks out like a sore thumb here. Yeah, I did not remember at all that this was all one show. And then, about, I mean, and then Sean fucks, fucks his back up. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're going to lose Sean, too. And we have no Tyson? Oh, my God. And Tyson's a major hook in that match. I mean, how much business do you think that Mania match does without Tyson? Not the 700,000 buys or whatever it actually did. Hell fucking no. Hell no. Much like, you know, we've talked about with 1984 and Cindy Lauper, Mike Tyson in 98 is as important, if not bigger. Yes. Wow. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.